In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly King, O Comforter, the Spirit of Truth, who art everywhere present and fillest all things, O treasure of good and bestower of life, come and dwell us and cleanse us from restain and save our souls, a good one. Today's talk, the title is Protecting Your Marriage from Magic and Demonic Influence, which is a continuation of the last talk, Talk 58, which was Married Life, and that was Magic and Demonic Influence. Even though some of you are not married, the information that you will hear still applies and some of you may not be married now and will get married. Some of you may never get married, but the point is that it's a teaching which is generally for all Orthodox Christians and Orthodox Christians should know uh, the teaching of the church on this topic. And you, today we will discover that there's more to this topic than what you think because people think that all demonic influence comes from magic. But we're going to see later on that that's not necessarily the case. I decided as an introduction to this talk to give you the first paragraph from the last um, CD, talk 58. And it says there that many Orthodox priests sadly admit that it is becoming increasingly common for people to come to confession with sins involving magic. There are many reasons people seek a magician's help, marital problems, learning the future, healing from sickness, financial success, protection from the evil eye and black magic, communicating with a departed loved one for good luck and for love. Stop there. And I may tell you that people call that white magic. In other words, they think that's good to do that. There's nothing wrong with that. You're not doing evil to anyone. But some people go to magicians for different reasons, to cause marital problems or divorce, to cause physical and mental illness or death, or to create financial problems, uh, full stop. And I add now, I didn't put into the blurb, but people call this black magic because you're doing bad to someone. But the church fathers consider whether white or black or pink, it's all the same, it's all evil and wrong and bad. Now, even I didn't put it into the last blurb, I will add there that there are other reasons, which I thought about later on, but it was too late because we already finished the cover, that people go. People, while I was reading, I noticed that the saints referred a lot to court cases. Uh, that's uh, one example. And, then I, and I add that some people even go and do uh, magic or seek help for studying and exams for their children or for themselves. 
if someone's having a lot of car accidents, then they go and do something there. They think that um, if they go to a magician or some person that does those things, they can protect their car. To see whether someone is cheating on them, so they go there. They've got, uh, they got, they can. Uh, uh, some go to private private investigators. Some go to the magicians and ask them, you know, is my wife or husband cheating on me? Others go because they want to find. That was another thing that was mentioned a lot by the saints. Um, uh, treasures. Now you might say, what's his treasures? And what it is, it's um, hidden or lost money and treasures. For example. Some people stole money and they hid it somewhere, then they died and no one knows where it's been hid. And there has been uh, some that were lost. So people have this idea that if they go to the magician there, that they will reveal where the money is. But they're so dopey to not understand that why would, if the person, if the magician knew, why would they give, tell you where the treasure is and not take it for themselves? But people are stupid, and that is one of the reasons why these people make a bit of money. People go to protect their house. And back in the village, in the, in the countries, in country t- towns and things like farms, to protect animals, their fields and things like that. Now, unfortunately, some of you didn't read the email that we sent out to do with what St. Xenia especially um, uh, famous for. Because why go to these people when the, when the church has prayers for all these things? Now, for example, if those who read the email, it says, St. Xenia is especially called upon for help with everyday problems, such as finding employment, housing, a spouse or a missing child, missing children. She also helps those suffering from alcoholism, marital problems, childlessness and mental illness, in particular depression. Why is she popular for that? Well, Saint Ksenia, of course, lived before communism came to Russia, and they had a. Uh, and as you can, as you know from the uh, icon of Saint Ksenia, you usually see her in a cemetery. I think that's where they had built a chapel. And the com- and there was a lot of people used to go to Saint Ksenia's chapel for help. Even before she was canonised by the church, people would go to the grave and pray at her grave, like they do in Greece now to many saints, even before they're canonised. And the communists noticed that there was a lot of people going, they didn't like it, so they put a big fence around the grave. But people would go and put little pieces of paper with prayer in between the walls and things like that there around the fence. Uh... And she obviously became popular because people at that time had a lot of just everyday problems like today. And everyday problems would be employment, housing, missing children, alcoholism, marital problems, childlessness, mental... Just exactly. So when you read, for example, the life of Elder Paisios, the Greek holy elder there, we read there that people would, would go to him... Uh, to ask questions and help for all those type of problems. Because the church is not separate to the people's problems, to the uh, things that they're experiencing. When the church is not within the people's needs and problems, then 
What kind of a church is that? Of course, the church's main function is salvation, but at the same time, it does help in all those other prob- with all those other problems. Now, again, why would people go to these magicians and get help for all those things that I said before? When the church continually prays for for all different needs. Now, I just picked a few for you. For example, just about in every service, we hear the priest say, for our deliverance from all tribulation, wrath, danger, I think the Americans say wrath, for our deliverance from all tribulation, wrath, danger, and necessity, let us pray to the Lord. From all, for, our, for our deliverance from all tribulation, all problems, danger, necessity, the priest continually, the, the whole church continually prays for the Orthodox Christians to be helped in those things. We also hear, those who um, go to church, for them that travel by sea, land and air, for the sick, the afflicted, for captives. But people, instead of um, going to the church to ask for help, they run to the magicians when they're going to go on a trip, that the, that so the magician can give them a cut-off piece of foot from a rabbit or a rusty horseshoe or some other, I don't know what else they give, all these uh, things so that people can have, a, you know, if they're sick or afflicted or if someone's held captive, they run there when the church has prayers for that. An angel of peace, a guardian of our soul and body, Every baptised Orthodox Christian has a guardian angel. And the church prays continually that that angel helps each Orthodox Christian. We have lost our relationship with our guardian angel. And instead we look at the stars and the horoscopes, tea leaves coffee granules, all these type of things, asking for help when we have our guardian angel which stands near us all the time. Unfortunately, people don't have that relationship with their guardian angel. Now, one way to gain that relationship with your guardian angel is to do the services, the little canons and akathas, for, uh, to your guardian angel. So some of those prayer books at the back have those services. And the more you do them, the more you begin to see. Because as you're reading the prayer, you'll actually understand what is the function of the guardian angel. Today we heard during the service, and on many services, again we pray that he, meaning God, may keep this holy church and this city and every city and countryside from uh, wrath, famine, plague, earthquake, flood, fire, the sword, foreign invasion, civil war and sudden death. Continually in Orthodox monasteries, because they do services every day, they do those prayers in the morning and midnight and in the liturgy and in Vespers in the, in the um, evening. In the holy water service, because a lot of people unfortunately run because they believe that people are scared of the evil spirits. 
There's a lot of superstition that the evil spirits are going to come and they're going to do bad to our families and things like that. And people have more fear of the evil spirits and less fear, if at all, of what offends God, which is sin. So instead of being scared of sin, which cuts us off from God, the devil makes us to be scared of him. He likes two things. Either one, we don't know he exists, or two, that we're scared of him. Orthodox Christians aren't scared of the devil. Orthodox Christians are scared of sin, not the devil. He makes out he's powerful. We hear a lot of stories of magicians who served the demons and believe that they were the most powerful on earth. Until the magician has to come up, come against a orthodox priest. And then when the magician sees that the demons are weak in front of an orthodox priest, the magician feels betrayed a lot of times and says, I thought you were the most powerful. And a lot of times they then deny their sorcery and things like that. Of course, then the demons will attack them and, put, and, and inflict a lot of pain on them. And sometimes it's very hard for them to escape. However... That's what happens. And in the book, um, in this book here, The Devil and Magic, I remember reading that. The magician, as soon as he saw that the orthodox faith had more power than what he believed he had, he said to the demons, I no longer serve you. So people run to these places or, or enter on the path of this type of thing like Wicca, and other things that we said before, then they into practicing magic because they believe that they get power from it. So the holy water service, there's a prayer there which says that this water may be for healing of souls and bodies and may drive away all the power of the adversary. Let us pray to the Lord, meaning all the power of the adversary means the demons, all the powers of Satan. So where... A priest splashes holy water. They don't like it. And that's why possessed people react quite violently when you put on them holy water. They actually say it burns them and things like that. And another prayer in the holy water, it says, that them that draw forth and pour out onto the sanctification of houses, let us pray to the Lord. So the holy water is meant to also to be sprinkled in the house by a priest or even yourselves if, if, if the priests can't go. Uh, you can do it yourselves um, on, on, uh, often. That also sanctifies the house, protects the house. Why then do we have to go to them? To, do, to go to them to ask them to protect the house. Then there's prayers for the sick. There's prayers before an operation. There's prayers after an operation. There's prayers for mental health. There's prayers for women, uh, for, for couples who can't have a baby, for conception. There's prayers for pregnant women. There's prayers for giving birth. There's prayers for women that are nursing their babies. 
there's prayers of the after their 40 days, etc. Then there's prayers for the dying, there's prayers for the departed, when, they, when, when a soul has departed. But people mix everything with superstition. And, you know, you, someone dies and they get a, a glass of water. Or they break plates. Maybe they hallucinate and they think they're at the bazooka. But anyway, they break plates for some reason and then they also have a glass of water they put in the house with a, where, or something like that because the soul will get thirsty. I thought you only get thirsty when you've got a body, but I don't know how the souls get thirsty. So all these things make com- confuse people because they don't know what the church has available. So we also have prayers for the sowing of seeds. So when some uh, farmers are about to sow their seeds or have sowed them, then the priest can come and do special prayers there so that the thing... And this prevents people running to these places. There's also prayers for the laying of the foundations of a new house. You see, uh, back in Greece and probably other countries, they used to have a practice again, demonic type of practice, that they would go and sacrifice some type of animal on the foundations and then leave the blood there and the bones and all these type of things, thinking that that's going to bring a blessing to the house. So the church has a prayer for the foundation of a new building. There's a blessing of a new house. So when a house has been built and ready and ready to move in, there's a prayer for that. But also when you're moving house, even to a house that's old, there's a prayer for that. There's a prayer where the, where the house is sanctified. I don't know if the Greeks have got it, but the Russians. And they cross all the four walls with oil and do a special service to sanctify the house. You don't know what's been there before. What did people do in that house before? Then there's prayers for a home troubled by evil spirits. There's prayers for a car, a boat, because people used to do superstitious things for their boats back in the um, you know, old days and still probably do, even for, for, for fishermen, for their nets, that their nets are blessed, even for fishing, so that their fishing can go well. There was prayers for a new well, a barn, a herd, like you know, for their animals and this. Prayers for sick animals. Prayers for bees, new honey, a bridge, planting and harvesting of a vineyard, new wine. There's prayers for travel. There's prayers for those that are held in captivity. There's prayers for those who hate us so that their hate can stop. Prayers during drought. Prayers when there's bad weather. Prayers for fear of earthquake. Prayers in time of hostilities when there is danger that someone's going to attack the country or the area. There's prayers for soldiers going off to war, prayers for when someone starts school. And of course, once they've gone to school, there's also prayers of exorcisms because a lot of them become possessed once they've gone. But that's another thing which we'll talk about later. And prayers for one suffering from demons. This just a handful of things that I actually um, found and that are available to people. 
There's no excuse for people to run to these places. A prayer, even said by a priest who's not that faithful, a priest who could be slack in some ways, when he puts on his um, petrahili, the, 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 the um, stole, and he prays, he can uh, open up the heavens. And the demons know that, and that's why they make people to keep away. In the last talk, there was one story, which I thought I, I, I left that out accidentally, I turned the page, and I thought I would read it because it will remind us of what people get up to and how and people are silly there. Now, one of the stories which, which comes from this book, Confronting the Devil, Magic and the Occult, it said there that the, the writer says, any kind of magic, however innocent and harmless it may appear to be, is an invitation to Satan. Whatever, even just reading horoscopes, even doing a little joke with the, the Ouija board, whatever it's called, all those things invites evil spirits. An Athenian woman, and he quotes the name Amissus Xanthak, I don't know what year that was, but for a few years ago, uh, was having trouble with her husband. He was cheating on her. In order to find a solution to her problem, she visited, in inverted commas, a good woman, because that's what the Greeks call the mediums. Oh, they're good people, they do good, who was a medium. The medium read some magic for her and gave her nine chickpeas to put in her house so that her husband would come to his senses. So he gave her some, some nine chickpeas, Levithia in other words, um, which I thought you used to make hormos, but obviously they, have other re- they, they use it for other things. The woman did as she was told, but if a priest told her to do something, there's no obedience. But when the magician says something, when the sorceress says something, when the witch says something, there is this obedience, I've noticed, to the point that the people are in trances. Oh, that she said I have to do it. And the money that they give as well. She, that woman did as she was told, and from then on, every night, she had nightmares. She dreamt of a savage man with hideous features who kept telling her, I'm going to kill you, which of course was the devil. In the end, she was cured by the intercessions of the mother of God. I cut some of that. I think she went to, uh, to some monastery or to, a spe- to there and prayed, and those dreams, things left. Now, it says here, I've got a little note that says it's that those who have gone to magicians or have had magic done on them often complain of having horrible dreams. That's one of the features of that. But it doesn't mean that everyone's that's having bad dreams that it's from magic. So don't, don't compute things in the wrong way. We've got to look at things as a whole. Not just, oh, I'm having bad dreams. Someone's done something. We have to look at other things as well. The other things that they can complain about is like they feel vomity, but there's no real reason for it. Confusion. A lot of times it could be anger. 
and especially an aversion to religious things. Something's not right. The confusion is that a person who could be quite functional or semi-functional suddenly can't do even make a sandwich. It's too confusing, the process. The person's like there's some clouds or something and they cannot do a simple task. They're out of it, very weak, usually white as a ghost and... uh, that's it, but of course, people can be confused as well because of medication. Some people can take a tablet for cholesterol, something like that, or for pain, and that can cause confusion. So don't, again, jump to conclusions. We have to look at everything as a, as a whole. I've got some examples. Someone told me that they went to a fellowship many years ago, and the priest there said, a, uh, a priest of a very big parish, Greek parish, uh, he said that some uni students came to him, some Greeks, some uni students came to him, and they were very, very scared. They were, like, terrorised. And he asked them what's wrong. He goes, well, at the university, we've done a seance. You know, as a joke, some, some said, like, you know, just mucking around. And uh, the... And what's uh, that, um, that special board thing that they've got? Or that, or I think it's called Ouija board, whatever. I'm not sure how you say it. And they put their fingers on that on a cup or on some object and moves around to the letters. And why they, they, they jumped up and were terrorised is because the things that were coming out were things known to them and couldn't understand how this thing was moving and given uh, dates of their birthdays and things like that. And they got quite scared. And also during those times, usually there's a presence there. Even if it's a joke, people can, can, um, can get affected. Another example, which I gave last month, which was about that young a mother who came to me and said that her daughter was seeing these continual visions of some young boy at her school. And I forgot one important part of it, which I will tell you, because it helps in what I'm saying. So I said last time that she would see uh, um, the soul of some young boy who said his name and kept on calling her and no one else at the school could see it. Anyway, I thought she's doing it for attention Maybe she read or she saw a film or something or, or um, because, as I said, their parents, her parents recently divorced, so I think she was disturbed. I went through all those angles. Has she ever done it before? Has she and anything else? Is she an attention seeker? goes, no, 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 no. But it doesn't matter because parents say no. It doesn't mean that it is no because parents sometimes don't really see things. So I asked a, lo- a lot of questions. But then what surprised me was that the girl, who was around 12, 13, 14, I'm not sure, told the counsellor of the school what was happening because she was often crying and the counsellor was trying to help her. And she actually, the counsellor said, so what name is this boy using? And she told them the name of the boy. So the counsellor thought, let's look up the records of the school. So she looked up records and there was a boy who was at the school from there years ago, way before this girl was there and probably before even the counsellor was there, who had died. So that was a bit concerning 
But of course, I said to the mother, souls cannot return to earth. Saints have power if God permits them to appear to people in dreams or in, or in, in reality, which the saints prefer not to see anything because of the, the danger of pride. I, for, per, for, for me personally, I hope I never see any vision, no dreams. I don't want to see any of those things because that can lead someone into pride and fall away. A lot of people who did see real visions had true dreams later on from their pride fell away. It's better not to see. So souls cannot come back from the dead. However, God can allow a soul that's not been saved to come, very rare, but can, and, it, and there are two messages that the soul can bring. One, that they are in need of prayers for their soul because they are suffering in Hades. And the second reason is also to warn the person who may not be leading a spiritual life. Those things can happen. As for what we see on television, those who watch it, with all these mediums that speak to the dead, and all these messages that come, there's none of that. It's all... It's beautiful. It doesn't matter if the person, if the woman did five abortions, doesn't matter if the man done adultery, doesn't matter if they steal, doesn't matter if they, whatever. It doesn't matter what they are, what they've done. All of them have the same message, that it's beautiful. The next life is beautiful, which is, which is completely contradictory to orthodox teachings. In other words, there's no punishments, there's nothing. And for people of today's world, that they prefer that. They like it to be all nice. They don't want to hear about punishments. So this per I said to the woman, so what's this boy supposedly saying? And if it's if it, and it, uh, it wasn't even orthodox, Bob, by the way. And um, was he asking for prayers? What what's he doing? She goes, no, he's just calling and I don't know and saying things that I can't remember now, but to me, the things were very silly and insignificant. And um, the demons do appear as souls to confuse people and to give messages. So your father might die and all of a sudden you might see your father and your father's telling you these certain things. If a person loved, have a lot of love for their father and they see it, they believe it's their father, but it's not. It's a demon appearing as the father with special messages. And the messages are you are alien, opposite to God. And those who dabble in these things, those people who mix themselves up in this spiritualism, end up leaving the church if they were in the church in the first place or become possessed. So I said to this woman, the mother, I don't know what it is. It could be demonic. I've no idea. And then I began to think, and I asked the mother, Has your, have you been to a magician lately? And she goes, no, I don't go to those places. Are you sure? Say the truth. Because people lie. Have you ever been? She goes, no. Okay. So has your daughter been involved with any of those? I goes, no, no, she doesn't like those things. And then she remembered about the cousin, as I told you last time, 
that they had a cousin who's into this Satanism, who says himself that he's into it, and he did something in the presence of the girl, some type of stuff that he did, and from then on, those dreams, sorry, those supposed visions or whatever she was seeing, started. From the time that they, she, somehow, she never knew the girl what was going on, but it was he, he did something satanic. And then I said to the mother, just go to church and pray for your daughter. Don't go to magicians to undo anything. I'll give you some oil. I'll give you some holy water. Um, we will do commemorations in the liturgy, and that's it. And she did. The mother started going to church, the girl a little bit as well. Uh, but even though that the girl wasn't going that much, she got better. Everything stopped. Everything. Now, some of you might ask, but if the girl wasn't going much to church, she never changed, she didn't really start confessing or things like that, why did she get better? God allows sometimes people in their, in their life, as you will know from yourselves, little things to happen which some type of um, help... Like I remember when I was young, I wasn't in the church, but I remember um, we were going to... Uh, uh, St. John the Russian, which is on my mother's island in Evia. St. John the Russian, who was captured by the Turks, he lived as a, he lived as a, as a, as a slave, and he died a, a, as, a, as a martyr, and his relics are incorrupt, and he's, in, he's, he's on the island of Evia in Greece. And, not, and my uncle, at that time, my mother's brother, said, let's go to um, there, and I went along not really having much of an interest because I didn't know much about those things. And we were going up there and, as I said, I'd never confessed, never communed, didn't know any of those things at all. And as we were going up, we hit a... Um, the, there was ice on the, on the road and there was a big mountain going down, a big, big hill going down. And the car started going around and it's and it stopped and then they were talking about something about the saint helped us and which and that which to me kind of didn't register properly because when you're blind you're blind so but the thing is it must I, I noted that and other things can happen and then later on those things build up build up to bring us back to the church so that's this girl for example she won't forget that her mother spoke to the priest that her mother gave her holy water, that her mother gave her holy oil, and that after the commemorations, the prayers and this and that, that she got better. So then later on in life, if something else happens, she will remember that and come back to the church. Sometimes people aren't ready. The second example that I wanted to say was after the last talk, a woman spoke to me and, and how it happened that she went to visit some old friends with her family, one child, husband and wife, and they went to her there and all of a sudden this fellow took out these, these um, big gigantic pairs of scissors, old ones, and he said to her, to the, to the couple there, I goes, oh, this is what my mother used to use back in whatever country they were from to cut lead 
which she used to then use in magic things. And the woman got shocked because she had been to the talk or heard on the CD, I can't remember now. And uh, she was, uh, got upset that how is she there? Well, this is what happens. And you just got to know to get up and go, try and explain to the people that, that, that that's not right. And then to make things worse, the next day, when I visited someone else, another, to visit some other old family friend who brought out a deck of cards and said, pick a card. And then the woman said, I don't, want, I don't do that. He goes, no, no, it's nothing wrong, nothing wrong. And then the person got confused and thought that she was going to do something else and she picked the cards and all of a sudden this woman started reading some type of saying, mumbling some stuff and it was like tarot cards. And the woman got upset and said, I don't want to do that, I don't do that. Anyway, from then on, her son, who was around 12, was complaining that he was seeing things and that um, something was grabbing him and pulling him and things like that and he was very upset. The father didn't believe it. The mother was not sure. So she telephoned me to ask. And I, and I said, well, did he see something on television that scared him? And he goes, but the, one of the houses, there was someone who had some mental illness and things like that. So... Maybe that scared him. I said, I don't know. Really, it's not... It's, the thing is, you did... You know, you were present at these people. Both of those people are involved in magic. I, I've not... It, it, it kind of happens. As soon as you go and touch those... Go near those places, these dreams... Sometimes these dreams begin. And But this boy was saying that he was seeing things, similar to the girl before. And I said to the mother, How, does he do that? She goes, never said that before. Does he... Um, is he an attention seeker like that? No. And how did he react when the father um, said he doesn't believe it? And they, because he got very upset, pained. I said, look, I don't know. Hard to know what it is. You do prayers for your child. We'll do commemorations in the liturgy. That's basically went away. That's it. There's no need to run to these people. There's no need to do anything. Very simple. Run to the church. Boy is normal. Now, whether it was psychological, whether it was some fear, whether it was who knows, it could have been demonic. Not important. Just do the prayers, gone. Now, my plumber, a Greek fellow, um, he, he, I've said this story years ago, he had an interesting story that he moved into a house, an old house, and, uh, you know, he started telling me that he was hearing, and I wanted to ring him, and I tried to ring, but he might have went hunting, because he's a bit of a hunter, so I uh, missed out on, because I forgot the full story when he told me years ago, but I'll tell you what I remember, something about that he would, things in the house would happen, and he would hear uh, in the house, music being played, even though there was no one playing music, because a lot of times he was the only one in the house. But he heard music and things like that. And I don't know if he said that things were moving around. I can't remember. But there was something that sounded demonic. So I thought to myself, okay, is it? It sounded demonic, but is it? Is he a person that talks about these things? But he never spoke about things. You know, sometimes you hear people that say. Um, 
They talk about everything, like oh, that that was a miracle and I saw that and that floated up and that. They continually, continually, they're, like they're just all the time, so it's like they're fanatical. So those people, I don't really believe much of what they say. But this person didn't, didn't do that. He was a very logical person, it's just um, uh, not very religious, but at the same time not into this spiritualism and all these stories and wasn't into that. Just this, he said, and he asked me, because I was as, as a priest, he said, what is that? I said, I don't know, maybe someone did something in that house before, sometimes when big sins are done, like a murder or some other problems, I don't know, you don't know. Um, um, I said, could be that. I, I said, I don't know, I don't have that discernment to know. Just go and call a priest, do a holy water. And get the priest to do some prayers for you. That's just just do that. He says, "Can you come?" I said, "I don't, don't, I don't go to, I don't, I avoid houses for um, as a monastic. I just avoid." It. I said, "You, you, you just get the, your parish priest." So he called one of the parish priests, a Greek priest. There came to the holy, did the holy water, and well, I said to the. So what happened? He said, after the holy water, everything stopped, everything, and believe it or not, this particular person still hadn't even had never really confessed in his life did some prayers was religious a little bit but had not really come to the church and yet still God did that because he listened he didn't run to Angela with the crystal ball or some other people around the place he he went to the there and he will remember that so when the problems occur later on he will remember the church, the priest, etc. When his mother was dying, I helped him quite a lot, and he did. He listened to every single thing that I said to put oil on her, get the priest to come over to commune her, to confess her, which he did, um, to. Um, uh, put holy, holy water, give her holy water. When later on when she was just about, she couldn't even eat anymore, I just said, just make sure you always give her holy water. Always put the unction oil on her, oil, holy oil. Um, she, the priest came over a couple of times. And, uh, and even though he himself wasn't there, he listened. And she died with prayers, and she, there was 40-day liturgies later on, which he did, and, I, and he said, what else can I do? I said, well, do commemorations of 40 days, uh, which is most important. You pray for her soul as much as you can because he didn't, he didn't know much. And as well, I said to him, um, and give money to the poor. And he did. Now, there was another family who was not involved at all with, in magic, at all, but um, their daughter would wake up 12 o'clock at midnight, which is interesting, crying, really, really in fear, and said that she would be seeing little black men with red eyes and things. Now, this person... I said, does she watch television, horror things? No, she doesn't. Has she done this before? He goes, no. Just started suddenly, 
midnight, midnight, which we know that's usually a time that those people do those things. And I knew that the mother-in-law was involved in things like that. Again, don't run to the magicians, I think, just prayers, call the priest, come and do holy water, read the prayers on the door, this and that, went away, finished, gone. Now we come to um, the first section here that I want to speak about tonight, which that was like a bit of a recap of last time. Reject magicians even though they use God's name. People say, but they're Christians. Now, naive Christians, when they visit a medium, for example, put forward the following justification for their actions. Uh, but she's a Christian, she's got icons, she talks about God, she does prayers. And as I've said in the last talk, she does, or they, man, but mostly women are, but some men do, they do this in order to trap the person. A person would not go if, if they knew that the magician speaks to demons. They wouldn't go if they knew the material and the objects that they use, as we heard in the last talk. They use nails, needles, soap. The soap is interesting because as when they, the soap is used when they want to do harm to someone. So they use soap and they make prayers and say as the soap melts, that let that person melt away so that's when the people start losing weight and things like that and a lot of times die. They use eggs, that's why people use eggshells and all that, oil, figurines, mainly wax, as we know, like those voodoo things, uh, bat or snake bones, animal or human hair and nails, soil from graves or skulls, human or animal blood, women's soiled sanitary napkins, as we said, products, as we said last time. If people knew that, they wouldn't go. So magicians who want to, or sorcerers, mediums, clairvoyants, psychics, or whatever other stupidities you want to call them, they... They, uh, if they want to attract religious people, like if it's a Greek person, or she wants to get Greeks. If it's a Russian person, they want to get Russians. So if you go to a Russian medium, then they're going to have a Russian icon there. And they mix everything up so that the people don't know what it's all really about. And that's why they even, as I said in the last talk, they even give advice to people. They even say, oh, you should go to church and commune. Interesting. You should get a priest to do holy water or an unction service. They even say that to people. Why, I ask the question, why would magicians advise people to, to, to participate in the mysteries of the church? The magician will say that someone has done magic on you, which is what they usually say. They go, someone's done something on you. They might even start describing so that, you know, they might say, okay, there's a woman and she's got short black hair. Okay, well, most women have short hair now, as you know. So it's not very hard 
to find someone with short black hair. I'm sure if I look around today, I'm sure I'm going to find some. There's, no, no, you've got long... You, any, anyone with short black hair? There, Zora. Right, so in other words, the person is a bit, like, a bit psychologically weak and vulnerable and upset because things are happening in their life. They scan around, they see one person with short hair, she's the one that did the magic and can cause people to kill each other. So the magician will say that someone has done magic on you and for protection, you do communion, this and that. So first they do that, they get a bit of money. They might sometimes even say, I don't want anything. To, I don't want anything. Say a couple of things there. Most of it is wrong, but anyway, people still believe it. And then later on, the person comes back. I did the holy water. I did as you were, I did as you, Oh, okay. Well, what it is is someone's done something on you and I've, I can make you a special thing which you can put in your house to protect you and your children from all these things. But it costs $20,000. So where you thought, what a good magician. Isn't she really good? A medium. She gave me the first consultation free. Right? Yes, it's for free. But then she smashes you on the next go. 20. Then later on, another 20 or 30. And people have given a lot of money away. The same people when they, when they worked out that they were sucked in and they lost out everything or whatever, later on when they come to the church, even though they could still have, they could still have a bit of money, they would find it really hard to give $10 to the church. Really, really hard. But to them, it's like, take, how much do you want? My house, here's the deeds, take it. Take whatever you want. That's how much faith they've got in these people. So, the question remains, if the holy water, like I said earlier on, is something which is fearful to the demons and holy communion being one of the greatest weapons against all those things as we're going to hear later on, why would these people tell their clients to go and do these things? Well, I'll read you something from the New Testament, from the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 11, chapter 11, 27 to 30, so that you know. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. So whoever communes in an unworthy manner will be guilty. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat the bread and drink from the cup. In other words, people have to look what sins they've done, repent, confess, etc. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, this is very important, many are weak and sick among you and many sleep. That last sentence is very important. It's, it gives us the church, how it looks at when people commune unworthily. Meaning, without repentance, without confession. It says, for this reason, those who do commune in that way are weak, sick, and sleep. And the, mean, and the, and the meaning of the sleep, obviously, those, those we, the Greeks should know because it's written in Greek. Sleep means have 
have fallen asleep. Many have died from actually communing the body and blood in an unworthy manner. Now, what's that got to do with why the magicians tell people to commune? Well, let's go on. By going to a magician in the first place, or a medium or clairvoyants, we're just calling magicians, but, you know, all those creatures there. By going to a magician in the first place, we have committed a great sin. A person who's gone has already has done one of the, of the greatest sins that the church recognises. As we read last time, it's equivalent to denial of your baptism, denial of God, denial of everything. It is, uh, some fathers of the church counted it uh, even worse than murder. The devil rejoices when people partake of Holy Communion unworthily. Because this is the greatest sin which condemns those who do it. How many people today commune properly? There's hardly none. All you do is go to church on Great Thursday or Great Saturday and you'll see people lined up in the street. They weren't even present at the liturgy. Unprepared, except for they think that all they've got to do is fast. That's, That's the preparation today, is fasting. Some people know about confession, but just stand in these lines and go and commune. If it's so fearful to the demons, then why don't they stop the people of going? Because, let's have a look. Holy communion on its own does not scare or affect the devil without faith and piety. We know this because they use Holy Communion, as we heard last talk, that the magicians, those sorcerers, use even Holy Communion in their magic rituals. As I said last time, that back in the old days, they, people never communed like they do now with the, with the spoon when the priest gives the body and blood. People used to commune like the priests commune. Each person was given the body in their hand, even lay people were given the body, then they would partake, then they would drink from the cup, each person. That's how people communed back in the first centuries. St John Chrysostom stopped that because he saw that people were using the body of Christ in their magic rituals. They even use icons. They use the Bible they use the Psalter upside down, spinning. They, you know, it's all these things that they use in their satanic rituals. Because some people say, oh, St. John Christum says that when you have a gospel, in, when you have the Bible in your house, the demons don't come. Uh, that's true. When you, have the, when you have the Bible in your house and you read it, and you try to practice what, it, what you're reading, the demons don't guess that you could be protected. But when the Bible just sits there, it doesn't do anything, because if that's the case, then why are the Satanists using these Bibles by doing their rituals with them, by defiling them and doing things that I want to mention, and to icons? When holy objects are used in magic, it makes the magic more powerful. Why? 
The bigger the sin, the more the devil helps. That's why Satanists go do, to gain favour with the demons, to get what they want, do whatever is a big sin. And one of the biggest sins, apart from defiling holy things, is human sacrifices, especially children, babies, sexual orgies, in particular homosexual things, because that makes them rejoice more. Like, when, like if we want to gain favour with God, if we want God to give us his grace, we do good deeds, we do the commandments. The Satanists and those who follow him, to gain his favour, for him to give them not grace but satanic energy, they have to do what he likes. And that is everything opposite to what God wants. There's a story in the, in the lives of saints which I think was uh, the emperor, the emperor, the apostate, Julian the apostate. I can't remember if, uh, anyway, I'll just say the story. I can't remember fully, but we get the essence. The essence is, uh, like Hitler, who used to go to his mediums and, and sorcerers so that he can know the future and gain power, you know, even the, um, even the Roman Catholic, the Jesuits, in in Croatia, they used magic against the Orthodox to try and convert them. The Julian the Apostate was a, an emperor. He was after Saint Constantine the Great. Saint Constantine, his sons, and then I think him. I can't remember the exact order. Anyway, he wanted to return the empire back to paganism. And he wanted power, if I remember correctly. So this, the, someone told him, you've got to go into the cemetery and wait there. Remember that Julian was baptised as an Orthodox Christian. He went to, um, uh, he studied in Athens together with St Basil the Great and St Gregory the Theologian, I think. And I think they actually said, one of them said that he will be a great enemy of the church. Anyway, so he went to the cemetery, if I can remember correctly, and uh, he, the person said, go there and wait. And as he was there, the demons appeared, and then he got scared. And remembering a bit from his childhood, he did his cross because he got scared. And as soon as he did his cross, they went away. Because when these things appear, it's quite scary. Um... To those who have no faith. So he went again, he did his cross again. But then, as I said, I can't remember fully the story, but then he was told to do a, a sacrifice. I think he killed a child or something. And then he went to the cemetery again, and when the demons appeared again, he got scared, he did his cross, but this time they didn't go away. And the, and the way the saints explained it is because he had committed a great sin. So yes, the cross, as I say, is, is fearful to the demons if we are leading a spiritual life. Sometimes there are people that I've spoken to that have said to me that 
they went somewhere, people that weren't even in the church, orthodox people, but they weren't in the church, weren't practicing religion at all. And they went somewhere and then they got scared and then they did their cross and then they... they see, God still can, can give that because the person might be in ignorance and helps to try and bring them to. But when we go into the big things, like he did, then there's no power in whatever you're going to do. So the Bible... The icons, the cross, Holy Communion, all these things have no power uh, when we have no faith and piety. And that's why the Satanists and these magicians mix these things up. Because by defiling the holies... you gain more favour with the demons. And today, a lot of these Satanists, it's a thing of power. They want power. That's why when the devil tempted Christ, he says, if you worship me, that he tempted him with three things, and one of them was to do with power. And even things, I'll give you all, you know, all the world and things like that. And it's true that those who do do that they do gain some power, but for how long? Now, last time I mentioned to you something which some of you got a bit shocked, where I said that St John Chrysostom said to hate those, who, those magicians in particular who mix religion with their magic. And, um, I, and I didn't have the quote, but I found it, and I want to read it to you so that people can say, because I found it strange as well, because I know that we're supposed to hate anyone, but anyway, let's all read you what St John Chrysostom says. Some people, thinking that they defend themselves, say that the woman who offers these magic spells is a Christian and never says anything other than the name of God. In other words, I add, they use the name of Christ, they use the name of the Theotokos, the saints, etc. So how are they doing evil, we, 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 we think to ourselves. Well, let's go on what St John Chrysostom says. For this reason, I especially loathe her and hate her because she makes use of the name of God in an insulting and dishonourable way. She may say that she is a Christian, but her behaviour is that of the pagans. For even the demons would pronounce the name of God, but they were still demons. And they, and they used to say, and, they, and thus they used to say to Christ, I know you, who you are, the Holy One of God. And nevertheless, Christ rebuked them and drove them away. So St. John Christum says, so what if she uses the name of God? So what if she says the names of the saints and the mother of God? What does that mean? He goes, if you read the New Testament... St. John Christum says, and all the lies of saints. But anyway, let's just stick to the New Testament. The demon possessed, when they saw Christ, the demon spoke through the possessed person and said, I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And St. John Christum says, those demons are acknowledging Christ as God. And yet, Christ didn't say um, good. He said Quiet. Stop. And the same because even though they're saying the name of God, they're still demons. 
And even though these people are using holy names, they're still demonic people. There are people today who are in their ignorance and blindness are mixed up with all those things. Some of them truly are ignorant. They will be judged according to, what their, according to their conscience. How much do they know what they're doing is wrong? But these beasts, they actually mix religion on purpose. I saw a documentary once, was like, like a talkback thing, um, a, a, um, a Greek one, where there was a woman there and they were talking about possession. They had some people there that talked in the audience, priests, theologians, um, all different people. And they had there Pete Papavako. Now, Pete Papavako was a magician, very well known in Greece. With his goatee there, moustache. And you could see what he was doing. He was using the show as a way to advertise his magic. And he slipped in there and he goes, um, they, played an in, they, played an inter, they played someone, like a, a bishop, who was speaking about it and was condemning magic and saying that magic is real, it's bad, this and this. So then when it was Pete's turn, Pete said, he goes, why do they say those things? And the, and the lady goes, what? He goes, how is he saying that magic doesn't exist? And then the woman goes, the, the host goes, he didn't say it doesn't exist. He says it does exist. And he said, of course it exists. Because he ignored that. And he goes, of course magic exists, Pete said. It, you know, even Christ got scared. So he slipped that in. But Christ got scared of the magic. And then he made a challenge because they had someone who rang up on the show to say that she had some magic thing on her or whatever. And Pete said, in front of all the television people, there goes, I, I really feel for that girl in Halkidiki, some part of Greece. I really feel for her. And I am willing to heal her for free. Of course you're going to heal her for free because you're going to get another thousand customers from the television show. <laughs> from your advertisement. And he says, I will heal her for free. I want you to put me on the television to show it. So these people are like those jelly blubbers, whatever you call those things on the beach. What do you call those things? The ones that sting. Yeah, every, like when it's a bad day and there's a lot of them, you just move one way, then all of a sudden you get stung, you move the other way, there's another one, there's another one, there's another one. That's how they are. They sting you in every way they, they, they can. They're slimy, tricky and horrible people. Remember also, which I'll explain in the next talk, the girl who was possessed in the Acts of the Apostles, who was like a, like a, a shadow spirit, it said there, who she would say the, the future of people. 
and uh, the, her, the ones who, who owned her would make money. And she actually said, when the apostles arrived there, she goes, these, these men are here to teach us the way of God. They are men of God. And it says there in the Acts of the Apostles that she kept on saying that continually. Or better still, the demons within her were saying that. And St. Paul, after a few days, couldn't take it and told her, stop. And ordered the demons to cease. He didn't want them to speak. Because it would confuse people. Because, yes... He was, he, he, people would say, these are people of God. Look, they're doing miracles, they're teaching the way of God. So this girl says the truth. So people say, I, I trust her because she was correct about Apostle Paul and about these that came here. They are men of God. So therefore, whatever else that comes out of her filthy mouth will also be true. And that's why Christ said to the demon-possessed person that will say, you are the Holy One of God. Be quiet. And St. Paul said to this person, be quiet. Which also shows us that we shouldn't listen to demons at all because people run to exorcisms. That's another talk, maybe next, next time. This, this is fascination with exorcisms and running to listen to the demons speak. Oh, it's just, um, there was um, this fellow that used to ring me and he says, oh, Oh, well, you know, I just came back. We had the exorcisms tonight. I won't say where. Was it here? Was it in Greece? Was it America? It doesn't matter. Um, he goes, oh, we had the exorcisms tonight and the demon said this, this and this. I said, I'm not interested. I'm not interested in what they... I don't want to hear it. He goes, why? I don't want to hear it. Because they say things and confuse you and trick you. He even said something of you. I said, I don't want to hear. If you continue, I'll hang up. Now, I'll tell you the level of it. The priest who was doing the exorcisms had lost his parish. And he was very upset, the priest. He was, you know... We can say he was hanging out, he wanted to get a parish. But he didn't know when the bishop was going to give him a parish again. So because these people go to these exorcisms to listen to what the demons have got to say, the priest was there doing the exorcisms and he was saying, he was, you know, speaking with this possessed person and saying, tell me, you know, and saying you're cursed and this and all this big hoopla, hoopla there going on, this whole arguments and madnesses there. And then the priest said, a priest, an Orthodox priest, you ready for it? He says, tell me, you cursed one, am I going to get my parish back? So he was using the possessed person as a social security person from the unemployment agency to see if he's going to get his job back. He actually got to the stage of even asking the, the demon, is he going to get his job back, his parish? This shows you that he had already fallen into deception and lost. 
That's how fearful it is. Don't watch them on the internet. Even St John Chrysostom says he was actually very, very strict about people during exorcisms who would sit there and talk. He says, aren't you scared that the demons would jump onto you? So don't do that. But anyway, more about that in, the, in another talk. Now, Elder Paisios, in book three of Spiritual Struggles, now, these, this has been around for a while, number one. These are, these are produced by the Women's Monastery, which Elder Paisios, where his body is now, and where he took care of the nuns. So when he would come out into Greece, he would go and take care of these nuns. He was a spiritual father. That's volume one. So Elder Paisios of Man Athos, Spiritual Councils, number one, with pain and love for contemporary man. And this book is produced by the Holy Monastery, Evangelist John the Theologian, Suriti Thessaloniki, Greece. But they're in English and they're sold. Uh, or we, we, I, I, I got them in here, but different bookshops hopefully sell them in America and things like that. They're produced in Greece, translated into English. That's the first one, which has been around for a while. And then the second one, Spiritual uh, Awakening, part two. But then recently, we just got the other day, number three, Spiritual Struggle, and number four, Family Life. Now, um, I started to look, read um, Spiritual Struggle, and they had in there a section about witchcraft, sorcery, possession, exorcisms, but also had many things. And I, I have to say that I was so overwhelmed. And when I read this one here, The Family Life, about women and upbringing of children and how to take care of them, married couples, and, and about um, how to prepare someone for death, all these things uh, in this book, I even read a bit before I came today, um, I would have to say that I strongly, strongly urge those who are listening to the talks on the CD or the download or whatever and here that these books are a treasure because he explains things in a very contemporary way. He had the gift of discernment. And this book, on, especially on family life, gives answers. The things that I read today and last night and the few nights I've been reading it about children, about mental illness and about uh, children that are disobedient and women and whether they should work or not and all these, these issues. He goes into breastfeeding, he goes into everything. I um, would strongly urge people to um, get the whole set. In that book, part three, there was an example where he says, I was told about a woman who supposedly cured sick people by using various sacred things. So someone came to him and said, there's this woman and she can heal people, but she uses holy things. When I heard of what she did, I was amazed by the devil's tricks and craftiness. She holds a cross in her hand and sings various hymns. For example, she may sing, O Virgin Mother of God. She actually holds the cross and sings a troparia, which is used in the Orthodox Church. When she comes to the part of the hymn that says, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, she spits on the cross. This is a blasphemy against Christ, and so the devil comes to her aid. 
Very, very important to note that. So yes, they mix. But during this mixing come the blasphemies, the defiling. So she actually, so the person's listening and says, oh, look, she's saying prayers, and then she spits. The person's too stupid to say, well, why is she spitting? And why is she spitting at the part which says, and blesses the fruit of your womb? And then Elder Paisu says, this is a blasphemy against Christ, and so the devil comes to her aid. Whose aid? To the magician's aid. To do what? Whatever she asks. Also, I remembered as I read that, that the Charismatics and Pentecostals, the ones that speak in tongues, when they speak in tongues, people say, oh, look, that's praying. They're praying to God. They're saying words. They're just making words up a lot of times and things like that. Sometimes they even speak in languages, which language they don't even know. But that's another problem. But once once you do an exorcism on them, for some reason they don't know how to speak the language anymore. So a person might be speaking French, has no, had never learnt French, yap, 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 they're away, and then a priest could be there or does a cross on them and things like that, and all of a sudden they can't speak French anymore. Anyway, but the majority of them, they speak things that you don't know what they're talking about. And people say, see, they're praising God. But the problem there is they're blaspheming. They're actually blaspheming Christ, God, etc. That's what they're saying. But people believe that they're actually saying holy things. Demonic amulets. Again, from book three, or the Paisius there, I will give... uh, He says that some people wear some amulets. Greeks call them Philakta, like protectors. They, you, know, you, you know, even my mother used to put, put them on us. They were like a little wrapped up thing with a cross or something like that with a safety pin. They used to put it on our singlets and things like that. People who have these items, oh, sorry, that's the religious ones, but also, again, in imitation of what the church does, the magicians make their own. People who have these items, given in other words from them, from magicians, should burn them and bury the ashes or throw the ashes in the sea. And they should go to confession. This is the only way they can be freed from their demonic influence. Now this part I was overwhelmed with because, to tell you the truth, I don't, I didn't, I don't like those things. My conscience was telling me that how do you know that what you're wearing is actually from a monastery? How do you know what you're wearing is not someone who says it's from the monastery? So they're like that. They like sometimes make them like into little triangle type of things, I don't know, whatever. Safety pin, put them on. And I was very uncomfortable when I used to see people with those things. But I never said anything because I wasn't sure whether my thoughts were correct or not. That's why I never even said it in a talk, even though it disturbed me. 
because I said these things people can trick. So someone, some woman can come up and say, oh, I went over to Greece and I went to Saints Raphael, Nicholas and Irene and I went to the monastery there and I got this, uh, this uh, philachtor here, this, this thing, which is got in there uh, a cloth or something that was rubbed on the relics of the, bo- the bones of the, 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 the saints. But how do you know she, that's where she got it from? Unless you got it yourself. How do you know? Now, that was my, that was my feeling. But that's why it's good, you see, when we read, we, we look at what the elders say, and let's have a look at what, what he says, and that confirms whether what we're thinking is right a lot of times, or it says that what we're thinking is wrong. So let's have a look what he says. It is better to give small crosses when they ask you for a philacton. So when he's speaking to the nuns, I think, of his monastery, he says, when people come to you and ask for those, those things, don't give them that, he says, but give them a cross instead. Do not make philacta, do not make these amulets, because even the sorcerers are now making them. They place a little icon or a cross on the outside, but inside they have various evil items. The people see the icon or the cross and become confused and say it must be good. A few days ago they brought me an amulet from a Turk. Ibrahim is his name, which even had an embroidered cross on it. So the Turk, who was a magician, was given out these things and a lot of, uh, I think this man must have been in Greece, so they were, Greeks were running to him and how's he going to get the business from them? He puts a little cross on there. But Turks don't believe in the cross. I've also heard of a godless man who rolls up various little icons and puts inside of them hairs, little pieces of wood, needles, beads and other things. I advised someone who had been harmed by him, someone who had gone to him and had, and, and had become, had become um, affected, because as soon as you go to these places you become affected. Elder Paisha says, I said to him, go and confess because you still seem to be receptive to such demonic influence. So once, as I said last time, once you go to these doors, that you, these things are very hard to get off. You need a bit of work. Sometimes they can go quickly. If someone's done something to you, you go to the church, whatever. But when you've gone, then it makes the job harder because you've gone. Not that someone's done something to you, but you've gone. And if we go to those places, that means we're betrayed and it's very hard to get loss of them. So this, uh, the elder said to this man, go and confess because you still seem to be receptive to such demonic influence. He went and made his confession and came to me and said, I didn't feel any change. Then I asked him, says the elder, if he still had anything given to him by that sorcerer, by that magician. Yes, I still have this little box that looks like a small gospel book, he said. Then the elder said, I took it and when I opened it, I discovered various little icons rolled up inside I unrolled them one by one and found inside them beads, hairs and some tiny pieces of wood. I took these things away from him and the man was freed. You see what a craftsman the devil is, how the devil 
creates and makes things so that people can believe. Once a young man, this is another story he said, once a young man had come to the Kalivi, Kalivi is the Greek word for like a little house, a hut, whatever, where the elder lived, who had had many problems that troubled him physically and mentally over four years. He was living a sinful life and had recently isolated himself in his house, not wanting to see anyone, which isn't a good sign. People like uh, people that are affected sometimes they um, cut off from society. But there are other people who can cut off from society who aren't affected by magic. So as I said, you've got to look at things as a whole, not just look at one symptom and go, ah, see, I know a person who doesn't leave the house. That means that they've gone to magicians or someone's done something non-necessary. Don't think like that. Finally, after many pleas, two of his friends, who came often to the Holy Mountain, to Mount Athos, convinced him to join them on a trip to the Holy Mountain so they could bring him to my uh, house, to the Kalivi there. On the journey from Uranopolis, which is the port where someone catches the boat to go to Manathos, uh, the boat goes from Uranopolis, which is a little port there. They get on the boat and then the boat stops at a few monasteries on the, on, near, near the water until it comes to the main port, which is Daphne, which is in Man, on, on Manathos. Now... On the journey from Uranopolis to, to Daphne, every time the boat stopped at the dock of the monastery, the young man would involuntarily fall down on the floor. His friends and the fathers who were on the boat, the other monastics, with them tried to help him by saying the Jesus prayer. Now, I've seen that as well. I've been once on Manathos on a boat, and I did notice that there was some commotion some fellow was very agitated, very, very agitated. And the monks just sit around very calm. They sit around and you see them, they hold their prayer ropes and they just pray quietly because they know that this person's under the influence and the demons want him to go, not to go to Manathos, which is one of the holiest places in the world. Finally... They arrived at my Kalivi. The poor fellow was able to open up his heart to me and tell me about his life. I understood that he was suffering from some kind of demonic influence. I advised him to go to a particular spiritual father for confession. Do whatever he instructed him and he would recover. He did indeed go and make his confession. So the elder would say, and this is in all his writings, not his writings, and what he is, because these, are, these books are recordings of the elder what he said and the nuns recorded them and then put it down into writing and right through you hear that that was one of the things he would advise people you must go to confession sometimes he wouldn't even he wouldn't even um guide them they go oh no i just want to tell you i just want your guidance no you have to go to confession first because you got all these sins in you Whatever I tell you is going to mix you up. It's not, you're not going to understand because you're spiritually blind. You need to go and clean yourself out. So he said to this man, you need to go to that spiritual father, go to confession and do whatever he tells you and you will get better. And he did and he went. When they boarded the boat to return back to, the, to Greece there, to mainland, he turned, 
He told his friends that the father had advised him to throw an amulet he was wearing, which was given to him by obviously someone or a magician or some relative. And the spiritual father said, you've got to throw it in the sea, get rid of it. But he couldn't, but he just couldn't do that. Like the story I said of that young boy last week, last month, when I said that he gave everything away, but he couldn't get away his cross that his grandmother gave. Because in that cross, obviously, she had put things in there. And it's true that these things that people get, it's very dear to them. For some reason, they won't let go of it. Well, we know the reason, obviously. The more his friends begged with him to throw it away, the more he felt unable to do so. He remained motionless and could not even get up from his seat. Then his friends picked him up and took him out on the deck. With their help, the young man managed to remove his amulet, that thing that that the magician or whoever gave it to him, and allowed it to drop into the sea, not even having the energy to throw it overboard because one of the symptoms of magic is is the extreme weakness as well as the other things. But one of it is that the people are out of it, completely out of it, white as a ghost, out of it, they look like they're on drugs, they um, can't eat, they feel vomity. There's a lot of, the, there's a lot of, but those symptoms can also be other reasons. So that's why you've got to be careful. You've got to look at things, as, as I said, as a whole. He immediately, as soon as the thing fell over, over the, over the, into the water, he immediately felt his arms regaining their strength and energy returning to his tortured body. He began jumping up and down from joy and feeling very lively as he tested the strength of his arms on the rails and the walls of the boat. So before he was like out of it because he had that thing on him, he threw it over because that was the obedience. That's what the spiritual father taught because today people don't listen. That's another thing I've been reading in Elder Paisas there. He keeps on saying today... People do not listen. If people listened to the spiritual fathers, they will would, would be in heaven, but they don't listen. So after he threw it off, he felt the strength and he began his change. So you know, if he was sick physically, that's why those miracles that Christ did. You see, there was one person who was paralysed. It says he was paralysed for 38 years. When you're paralysed for 38 years, you've got no muscles. Now, what makes it a miracle is the fact that he got up after Christ healed him, picked up, I'm getting mixed up with something, but anyway, one of them picked up their, their bed and they had immediate strength. That can't be a person who just recovered. So if someone's say, had a a sickness for years or a person that was sick even for a couple of weeks with fever and you see them, they're weak and all of a sudden the fever breaks. As soon as the fever breaks, when the person hadn't eaten for a couple of weeks and is out of it, you don't see the person getting up and doing gymnastics. It's impossible. They're sick. They're recovering physically, slowly. In the Gospels, when you see the... the, um, the Christ, when he healed, they became immediately strong. And here, 
We see this person who was out of it. You don't just go from that to that unless the miracle occurred and he got better straight away. To end off with, that, with the section on the filakta, um, on the amulets, I found, uh, or someone found for me, uh, from the book, one of the ancients, Elder Gabriel, published by St. Herman of Alaska Brotherhood. Uh, uh, this account has been taken from his life. Now, he's, he's, he's called Elder Gabriel of Psoch, how do you say that? Psoch? Psoch, whatever. And Kazan. He, lived in, he was born in 1844, died in 1915. At first, he became a novice at Optina under the guidance of Elder Ambrose. As a novice, he became very sick with typhoid fever. Even though this illness passed, he was bedridden for five years. He was very sick. He was totally exhausted, completely lost his appetite, lost tremendous amount of weight. His strength left him in such a condition, barely able to sleep, long days passed, months, years, and in addition, terrible thoughts tormented him um, more than the, the, than the fever itself. Because physical pain is bad, but psychological pain from those who suffer it, it's, it's actually can be quite worse. And uh, more people commit suicide for psychological reasons rather than for physical. And he had thoughts as well of the fact that he was physically sick. He even began to think that entering the monastery was not pleasing to God, that in the monastery he was only a burden and that he brought no benefit to the monastery by his presence there because he was sick. So he thought, what am I doing here? And I'm only burdening the monastery and I can't do anything. He was being attacked with the thought also um, that all this happened because you left your aged parents and you, and you have holy parents. So he had that thought, my parents are spiritual but I left them and I should have taken care of them and uh, things like that. He went to Elder Ambrose and said, Father, forgive me, I am sick. I am no use to the monastery. The fever has taken away what little I had. All I do is lie down and I believe that God is displeased with my entrance into the monastery. I have offered God and I have offended God and my parents and I've no use to anyone and many have to care for me. That, which is good that he opened up his thoughts. People today uh, rarely open up their thoughts, especially to a priest. And because of that, they suffer more and more psychologically. The person who opens up their thoughts, a lot of times, as soon as it's like a dark room. And a, we're in a dark room and it's pitch, pitch black. You cannot see anything. So as you're walking around, obviously you're going to hit things, you're going to hurt yourself, and just the fact that you're in a dark room you can't see is horrible in itself. And then someone opens, something happens in a little hole somewhere and some light comes in. That light's enough to see a little bit, which is, which is good. Now, the same as when we open up our thoughts a little, especially when we go to confess, and we open up our thoughts... This is like someone's opened up a little light. Once that little light comes in our mind, in our, in our minds, then we begin to see things a bit clearly. People that are secretive, who don't open up their minds, 
they are in constant darkness and suffer unnecessarily. So when we do open up, that's why even those that go to psychologists, one can say eh, there's a little bit of a hole that comes in at times. But when someone goes to confession and uh, especially if our problems with our mind comes from the way we think, not for some physiological reason, some medication that we've taken that's wrong or some something wrong with our brain, but it comes from the way we think. When we go to confession, it's not like a psychologist. Psychologist, when you go, you might have a little, a little pin hole that lets a bit of light in. But when someone goes to confession, it's like someone's opened up a large window and allows light to come in and air, fresh air. So, Elder Ambrose replied, you must endure. Do not listen to these thoughts. They are from the devil. And after a short pause, he added, it seems that when you entered the monastery, you did not confess everything. You have neglected some sin, and by this you have left a tiny hole through which evil thoughts enter. This is interesting. That's why it's important that when we confess, to confess everything, get it out. But he, Elder Ga- this, this, uh, he was a novice then, he either didn't remember or he uh, didn't, was, was just, he says here, you neglected. It seems like more that he just didn't think properly about everything that he had done from young. Gabriel thought and thought but could not remember a single thing. Father Ambrose tapped Gabriel lightly on the forehead. What joy he felt. Well, come out with it, the elder said. And Gabriel remembered that once at home in the village on Holy Thursday, he had cast a spell over a belt and a piece of bread and was thereby able to lead cows grazing in the nearby field back home again without the knowledge of the cattle herders. I don't understand the ins and outs of these cows and the cattle herders. I don't know how it all works. Not important. The thing is that he, as many people in the village do, did some superstitious type of thing. Sometimes they used to cast some type of spell to protect their animals from wolves. They used to cast spells so that they can fall asleep and that their sheep don't go away. All these type of things. Anyway, he did that when he was younger. He had not recognised this as a sin and had not confessed it. Listening to him relate the incident regarding this spell, which called on the evil spirits, Father Ambrose, or Elder Ambrose, was amazed and then reproved him, and nevertheless he gave him a small penance, a few prostrations for a, sh- for a short time. Interesting, he gave him a penance, even though that was something from years ago. How much more when people go and confess when they've done something recently? But today the priests don't give penances, a lot of priests. And I have to say that that is really, really one of the main reasons for the decline of spiritual life today amongst Orthodox Christians. Penances are very, very valuable. So, for example, someone goes to a magician. The penance really should be for eight years, nine years, ten years, depends. But they don't, they don't apply them that strict. 
but at least give something so the person can have an idea. It's not a punishment. When we punish, or we supposedly punish our children, we don't punish them to make ourselves feel better or to make them suffer. As a teacher, when I used to teach, if I gave a, we'll use the word punishment, to a student, it wasn't because he irritated me or because, even though back in my earlier years, yes, I used to do that, not because I wanted to get even with the person, I wanted to inflict pain or whatever. The purpose of the inverted commas punishment was to correct the person and also to, as an example to others in the class, and to also stop this person affecting the other people's learning. The same in the church. The church gives penances. It doesn't call them punishments. It calls them penances as a way of correcting the person. Penances are very valuable, and some priests do give them, but very few. If you look at the good spiritual fathers in Greece, they always used uh, penances unless the person was, as I said, like like a repentant a lot. Sometimes people might say a sin, but they're not really that repentant. Penances are, are important. It helps the person come to their senses more, helps them to repent, and helps them to correct themselves. For example, say someone fell into a certain sin, depending on, on their educational level, how much they can read, I might say to them, back in my old days, read the, the four Gospels. St. Matthew, Luke, depend on the seriousness. When you finish that, then uh, you can um, commune. If the person really wants to commune, then they'll read the Gospels. As they're reading them, they'll be enlightened, they'll be sanctified. They'll think twice before falling into that sin again. And they learn. So that's what it's, that's, well, that was the purpose of it. That's why the saints used penances. That's why the church teaches it, sorry. Anyway, so that shows there that we must clear ourselves out of all this rubbish that's in us that we've all fallen into, whatever it is. Whether we read a horoscope, whether we let someone read our coffee cups, doesn't matter, clear it out. And um, I read this last week, but I'll just read it quickly um, from the book Christian Morality, which is an excellent book, which is uh, I think priests should um, all have a copy by St. Nicodemus the Ayuriti, published by Institute for Byzantine and Modern Greek Studies in the USA. Now, uh, it's a thick book written by St. Nicodemus, all about Christian morality, and I got a lot of my information on this topic on that. It's got a lot of things in there about uh, gambling, about this, about so many topics about Christian morality. Anyway, St. Nicodemus used in his writings a lot from the writings of St. John Chrysostom. And he says, All of these, all of them, I say without exception, both those who perform magic and those who submit to it, both those who provide magical items and amulets and those who receive them, all of them become the abodes of unclean spirits. In other words, they become like a house where the evil spirits live. All of them renounce Christ and the faith of Christ, and join Satan and devote themselves to the worship and pomp of Satan. Hence, they are all deniers of the promise that they made at holy baptism 
to renounce Satan and all his worship and to join Christ and to observe his faith and his words. Oh, the despicable catastrophe, oh, the great loss of Christians, in other words, the loss of souls. Such denial of the faith is worse than idolatry and impiety and consequently it carries a much heavier punishment than idolatry because those who practiced idolatry didn't know about Christ. But when we Christians know, we shouldn't do it. Oh, wretched sorcerers, oh, unfortunate mediums, in other words, or the psychics, would it not have been better if you had not been born into this world at all than to have been born only to receive after death a severer punishment than idolaters? Now, as I said last time, some of you might say that's very harsh. We don't speak like that today, and that's true. Most churches would, would never read that. That's the problem. People are what's called in Greek planimeni. And planimeni means in, in, in Slavonic prelest, like deceived. The demons have their own teaching. And one of them is the one of don't offend anyone. What does he care whether we, people are offended? Of course, because it suits him. Don't reprimand anyone. Only speak about love. Once I remember someone heard a priest say something, I don't know, there about um, the devil, and then the person was going, no, 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 only love, only love. All we need is love, in other words. Obviously, they might have been an ex-Beatle fan, but doesn't mean that they're Christians. And uh, that's the, the biggest deception that the devil wants. The priests to close their mouths and not to say anything. The priests encourage. The priests reprimand. The priest does whatever Christ did. Christ, he spoke with love. And when needed, he also spoke harshly when people were unrepentant, that's what the saints say. When people are doing the right thing, you speak on a different level. But when people are doing the wrong thing, then you can speak a bit gentle, trying to encourage, and if they don't listen, then you've got to sometimes give the, these, these types of words so people can understand. And Elder Cleop of Romania, he said then the ones who are guilty of such a serious sin are punished by God with severe and unrecoverable illnesses. So those who go to those places, he says they're punished by God with severe and unrecoverable illnesses, with suffering in their families, damage, conflicts, like they're fighting and problems, poverty and terrible death. And if they don't confess to a priest and do not repent for their sin, with tears all their lives, they cannot be saved. Now, this elder, Elder Cleop of Romania, one, as I said, he was called the spiritual father of Romania. He was full of the Holy Spirit. He was full of love. Now, we have to look and say, how is a person who's full of love speak like that? He speaks like that because he's full of love. 
People are confused of what exactly is love. The definition, well, sorry, the, the um, as I've said before, the fathers say that, the, that love is when you care for someone's soul. If someone doesn't care about your soul, so if the priest, for example, knows that his parishioners are involved in these things and he doesn't denounce it, he doesn't instruct the Christians, he doesn't tell them that these things are bad and that these things lead to whatever it says here, spiritual catastrophe and loss of souls, then that priest, he can do all the barbecues he wants and he can do the ping-pongs in the church hall and he can organise tug-of-wars where he's the anchorman. He can do whatever he wants, but that person has no love whatsoever. And he missed his mark. He should have just become a social worker. Right? Work for the Smith family, St Vincent de Paul. They do good work. He can, he can go there. Or he can work for New South Wales Sports and Recreation. If they do not abandon their practices and do not repent, magicians and people who believe in them and who resort to the devil's help abandon the church completely. I'll read that again. If they do not abandon their practices and do not repent, magicians and people who believe in them and who resort to the devil's help abandon the church completely. That is, they separate from Christ and give themselves willingly into the hands of the enemy these are the terrible consequences of magic. And Father John Christiank, and I like to pick a, like a, an assortment, Greek elders, Russian, Romanian, Serbian, and Father John Christiankin, which was a great spiritual father there, which I never knew. I mean, I, I read the book, but I, only when I read The Life somewhere that I realised that, um, that he couldn't even go from his room to go to the church because there'd be thousands of people there to come to, um, to, to get his blessing, ask his advice. I didn't know. He died in 2007. Holy person, full of love. But yet, he speaks harsh to it when he has to. The situation, he said, in your home gets worse and worse because you eagerly served the enemy by charms and adultery you invited into your life the dark powers. So he says, the devil is in your life, in your home, because you went to magicians, but not only that, you committed adultery. So that's what I'm trying to say. Not every demonic thing just comes because of magic. Whether the person's gone themselves or someone's done something on them. It also comes from the other sins as well. You invited into your life the dark powers, which are standing on end against you now that you have turned to God. That is true. When a person changes and wants to get away from that life, then the demons uh, take revenge. They don't like it. You need to bring forth, another letter, he says, you need to bring forth repentance for your whole life, especially for turning to the dark powers. When people conduct the enemy of mankind into their lives themselves, listen to the next part, it becomes extremely difficult to break free of him. That's why at the beginning I gave those examples. Those people who 
uh, had something done on them or, or by mistake something happened, a few prayers, it's over. With God, if God permits. Most of the time that's what happens. Unless God's got special reasons for that to stay there, to make them, for, for reasons he knows, for, to make them stronger. But the ones who have been involved in that, it's, it's very difficult. Not impossible, it just needs more work and a lot of repentance. St. Nicodemus says, which I read last time, I'll just quickly read it, if you Christians have not practised magic, have not even summoned wizards or witches to cast spells for you or to give you amulets for your illnesses and have not run to them to reveal certain items to you or help you in some need, know that on the day of judgment Christ will take each of you by the hand and display you before the universal audience of angels, archangels and all the saints from ages past will proclaim these words, Christ will say, this man who once was ill at a time when everyone was urging him to call for wizards or witches or whatever, mai, maiuses, um, to cast spells over him and cure him of his illness, nevertheless, for my namesake and for fear of me, he did not consent to do such a thing but preferred to die than to deny his love for me. And most of the time they don't even die because they just call the priest and a lot of times they get better anyway. But even if it means to die, better to die than to lose your soul. And the other thing is, um, a woman told me that when her mother was dying of cancer, they took her to a magician. The girl was young. She doesn't, well, now she's a woman, but she didn't remember much, but she kind of, and, and found, she understood that they took her somewhere. And she said... To me, what should I do? I don't know if my mother confessed it. I said, well, you do the work on her behalf. And I said, how, she says, how do I do that? I said, well, what I often say to people is, if, you've, you know, if, you, if you want to help someone or you want to help yourself, if you've done something wrong, get a book. Like, for example, this one here. Some, some people have bought um, a 50, a 100, gave them out to different things. I said, if you, because she said, I, I, learned, I, I understood that after I heard your talk. I said, well, did, you, did the talk help you? Yes. Well, you can buy more and give them out to people. That's also missionary work. And help others. And you say, you do a prayer and you say, God, my mother may not have confessed it. She might not have known. They might have forced her. Maybe she was out of it. I don't know. She went. It's wrong. What, and I, I'm going to give these out, these talks or books or whatever you want to give out, for her soul for her soul to be forgiven. You know, do missionary work. Spread. Whether with these books, other books, whatever you want. Do work to help people. You don't know. You could, this could fall into someone's hand. This book can fall into someone's hand and help them. You come, which is good. You're learning. That's good. And how about other people as well? Now, as I said last time, now some of you might say, why is he speaking about these things? Um, we're Christians, we don't go to those places. I said, when the going gets rough and we lose ourselves a lot of times, look at Russia, Holy Russia. Communism came along and the same people who would go to church often and venerate the icons, when the communists told them to 
burn the icons came out and lit a big, 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 a big fire, blew up churches, etc. Now you might say, but that's how do we know that might not happen here? We don't know. But even if it doesn't happen, the demons don't need uh, some uh, enemy to come and say that we'll cut your head off if you don't deny Christ. He comes in different ways to deny Christ. During sicknesses, during problems. Just as I said, your child's sick and you hear something, look, that person can make it better. This, that tests the faith. And that's why a lot of Christians who are churchgoers go. So don't be like Peter, I will never deny you. With God's help, I will never deny you. Now, last time we left off with a couple of things. One was the elder Fadel story of Serbia, where he was asked the question, how can we protect ourselves from those who take part in occult practices and who cast spells? And he was spread the story about that uh, the woman who was married to a fellow there. And um, the, his mother was into, that, into those things and she was doing magic to make the wife to divorce. If you remember, uh, his brother divorced, I think, was it two, three times? And this fellow, he, he said to his wife while crying, he came home one day and goes, I can't bear being in our apartment. I know that this is all my mother's doing, but what can I do? And that's how they speak. Those people that are under those spells, that's how they speak. Of course, his mother had not brought him up in the faith, and Saint uh, Elder Thaddeus emphasised prayer. He spoke that he didn't know how to pray, and all the all her all her evil spells that she did turned against him, against the son. While his wife was at peace, the woman knew how to pray. And he says, "Can you see how powerful prayer is? No evil spells can touch us if our faith is strong." They only turn back on the person who's trying to harm us through these occult practices. I had an example of that, as I said to you last time, and many examples. Husband, wife, history of... In the husband's side, history of that stuff continually. And... The only reason that, sorry, he, 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 had, he went through a lot to actually wanted to leave his wife. Same thing, the exact words, I don't want to go, but I have to. I can't be here. I can't live with you. I hate you. But I love you and I don't want to leave. But I have to leave. Same story, this is you hear it, that it's kind of, to me, tells me that something's going on. When he goes to church, this person's a bit slack. When he goes, well, I don't see him now, but let's just say before when I knew, when he was going to church even a little bit, it would be less. When he started to slack, it would increase and he would suffer. And then he would want to divorce his wife. I heard another story, which was very interesting. Another, another family, again, 
a history of um, the the husband's side, I think, had a history of those things. So people don't think that I'm against women because I always say the women, the women, the women do all the magic. That's a fact. That's, that's usual how it is. Men, the, the men's choice to get even with someone is their fist and they kill or do damage. We know that. A woman's choice is poison and magic because women don't have the strength unless they're built like trucks. It's a different thing. That's, but in general, a man's way is that and a woman's way is that. Or my experience with it, it's just, it's continually, it seems to be women a lot. And that's why the saints, as they're in their writings, it's always talking about the witch and that, but they do talk about men that do it too. But in general, the women. And the woman said to the husband, which was, where goes, um, my remote control doesn't work. Can you go out and lock the car? So he goes out and he becomes like terrorised and startled and starts to kind of shout towards his wife. And the wife says, what's wrong? And he goes, there's this like a powder or something on the car. That was the wife's car, by the way. Like a powder, but it's in the shape of a cross. And... They got terrorised, but then later on they forgot about it, which is usually when people have got these problems, they do tend to forget, don't believe it. It's just a part of that, part of that problem. I mean, what's this thing doing on their car anyway? Um, so she, the woman knew that the mother-in-law hated her. And... Um, by coincidence or whatever you want to call it, uh, she always drove the car. But that day, she, she, the husband had to drive the car. And that was the, the day uh, that they found it or something, the next day or something. Found that, that stuff there, whatever it was. And he, had, he, he, did, he was a bit drunk, but that doesn't explain what happened. And he was driving very slow, not much, 60 kilometres an hour. And for some reason, the car uh, tumbled seven times, like that, seven times. And he couldn't, under, uh, couldn't understand why would that be. I mean, at 60 kilometres an hour, did he hit like a pole or something, whatever. But the thing is that it just spun in seven times over. He didn't get hurt. Did they, put, did they connect it with the powder? I don't know. However, because as I said, these people that are under the influence are usually blinded. They, don't, they can see the obvious, but they kind of still don't think it's anything. They just forget easy. Like another guy, which I'll tell you in a minute. But anyway, so then they found out that the day before, the mother-in-law had gone into a trance. 
and she lost herself so much that she started running down the street with her hands like out in a trance, mumbling, shouting like a, like a person that was crazy. They had to call the brother of the, um, of the woman to come with the husband and, get, and to, get, uh, to get her and they couldn't calm her down. She was in a trance. Now, the people that do magic go into trances. They become like possessed. She was like possessed. And she was, not, she was well known of doing those type of things. Now, could it be a coincidence? Maybe. Maybe the powder got there and formed the cross by itself. I don't know. Maybe that was true. Maybe the car spun around seven times by itself. I don't know. Maybe she went into madness, even though we know that, that, well, they, that people knew that she was involved in those things. That family was full of that stuff. And unfortunately, that couple was affected a lot. And it comes out like things like gambling, spending money, alcoholism, mental disorders, children, craziness, madness, uh, family split-ups and things like that, sicknesses, all those things. Started going to church and a lot of it went away because, if not all of it, because doesn't work if person goes to church. They weren't going to church. And I think it was God's providence that they didn't get killed. Um, actually, they had a number of cars that got smashed. And every time they got smashed, there was this stuff on the car. Once a couple said to me, Again, history of that stuff. Sorry, I don't mean to be like, like a sexist type of person, whatever you call those people. That's again, it was the mother, and uh, both the husband and the wife were sick. No reason. Went to the doctor. Nothing. Heaviness, weakness, out of it. White. Couldn't do anything, dysfunctional, confused, heaviness on the head, vomity. And I thought to myself, is it, again, because I, I, I don't believe straight away these things. You know, you might think I believe everything's magic, but I don't. Uh, I'm telling you specific stories now. There's another thousand where it's not even true. Like the person who said, oh, my head's spinning, someone's done something, whatever, and this and that, and it turned out that it was the painkiller they were taking. So I had my suspicion, and I said, well, if um, someone, if the mother has done something like they're saying, and they weren't, you know, they slack off sometimes. So people that have had this, they come to the church, they get relieved, and then they slacken off a bit, they stop going to church, or they slacken off their prayers, 
and all of a sudden when there's a new dosage of it, they get attacked, they become all unsettled and they run back to church. That's why God allows these things. It's actually, um, uh, when people say to me, um, they come and they say, I've had something done on me and it then turns out to be true, I go, God's blessing. I go, how's it God's blessing? They don't understand that because if it wasn't for that, would you, would you have come to the church? I go, no. That's it, isn't it? So you've come to the church because of that. So, um, and when they slacken off, it comes again because, this, the, because the person was, was always doing stuff. As long as they're going, praying, communing, they're, they're better. They slacken off, it was on there anyway. But I thought to myself, is it that? Is it something else? Because once another couple said to me that they go, oh, my, my husband and I, we're full of uh, itching. We're itching continually. Maybe someone's done something on us. Okay, let's have a look. Have you gone anywhere where there was dust? This or whatever, whatever. Going on, the questions, 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 questions. And um, the person says, no, I'm sure that someone's done something. But you don't have any other symptoms. And what did it turn out to be? After a few more questions here and there, they, they, went, to, uh, they went and got some, um, from the chemist, some vitamin B, high-potency high vitamin B. And they made a mistake and were taking too much of it. And vitamin B uh, make, can make you a bit hyperactive, but also it makes, it's, gives blood circulation and things like that. And they were getting itchy from that. Because um, I said, why well, don't you ring up a naturopath and find a guy and you know, look up, look up on the internet or thing, whatever. And it turned out that it was the vitamin B. They stopped the vitamin B. I said, how's the rash? It's, it's all gone. So was it magic? Goes no. So people do believe that everything's magic. But anyway, so this couple, because their symptoms seem very strange to me, I thought to myself, if they're affected. Wouldn't their child be affected? Out of one child. Wouldn't their child be affected? So I asked some questions. I said, um, how's your son, whatever? Good. And I know, I remember she, this woman and her husband told me that he loves going to church, he likes communing. He's only young. I don't know how old he was. Seven, maybe. He goes, he likes communing. He likes going to church. I go, okay, well, um, and because I remembered that, I wanted to know if that someone has done something, the child should be affected too. And if the child's affected, I thought to myself, I didn't, I didn't say that to her, if the child's affected, then they're going to have problems with the child to do with holy things. So, because when people do things, they usually do it on the whole family. So I said, um, oh, so how's your, John, let's just say Johnny, whatever, um, anything strange, anything, how's it going? I didn't want it to know that I was asking questions because people can psychologically make things up. Yeah, he's this, he's this, but it's not true. I said, um, did you go to church? Yeah, but he didn't want to go to church. Okay. Does he usually do that? He goes, no, he loves going to church. So he didn't want to go to church? No. And I was suspicious. I probably, I thought to myself, he probably didn't want to go inside. I go, did he go inside? No, he didn't want to go inside the church either. Okay. How about communion? He goes, no, he said, I don't want to commune. 
And that's how I knew that, that's, that there was something. And I said, what else? Somebody's behavior goes, been very evil lately. Go, what do you mean by evil? He goes, usually just a, like a sweet little boy, but he was, he got this like a plastic thing. He was hitting me with it. He was being extremely, extremely, completely different to the way he is. Okay, he goes, never, doesn't do that. He goes, no, he can be disobedient. He can be, but he's never hit me. So, with a few of the prayers, because they were already in the church, I said, you've got to increase your prayer, you've got to go to church more often, you've got to pray for your child, because he's only young, he doesn't know what's happening to him, you're the adult, you pray, we'll pray, give the name around, you know, to monasteries, whatever. They did that, the child was back to normal. You've got to look at everything, not just a rash and jump to conclusions. Now, I gave the example of that young man who gave away all his stuff because his grandmother didn't want him to go to church because she was scared that he was going to become a monk. And the mother also didn't want him to go to church because she was scared that he was going to become a priest. And, and he, she said that um, he can't become a priest because he's got blonde hair. So... Um, obviously, there's some mental illness there. But I have another example, and I, I left off on that example last time, and I said, why did that happen when he was going to church? He was communing at every single liturgy. How did that happen to him? Some of you gave different ideas. Some said he prayed. Some said didn't pray much. Well, he did pray, but... Now I'm going to give another example of another young fellow and let's look at the difference. There was a young fellow, again, started going to church. The parents weren't churchgoers. They were orthodox, but they weren't really much in the church. They got a bit shocked. How is our child going to church? Reads, prays, and they got this superstitious stupidity that, oh, He's not going to be able to pass the exams because he's not doing his studies, even though he didn't really do studies anyway. But in their mind, you know, it's because he's going too much to church. And, um, and, he, and he met someone who was helping him at the church. And um, this person said to him, and now that you're more interested in orthodoxy, you should start confessing and communing and things like that. So what happened was that the person who was helping the young fella got attacked. Got actually attacked, like something jumped on him. Became paralysed, like at certain things, you know, for a while, and then had to pray and things like that. And the person knew that the parents had gone to something. And he encouraged the friend and said, you need to commune more because they've done something. So this person confessed regularly, communed, prayed. This person said to him, the parents, that for sure they've done that, Ring up one of your relatives 
and say to them in a matter-of-fact way that you know that your mum went and done that stuff. The, per- the young person needed to know that there was some danger there and to take precautions. So the person rang up the, uh, some relative of theirs and said to them, oh, you know that, you know, you know how my mother went to the magician and uh, so I can um, stop going to church. And she goes, yeah, yeah, she did. She didn't know that the um, thing. Yeah, she did. And, um, and now this is very important, the next words. Because to me, that's the, that's the, that's the, the highlight of the talk, to understand. The, the, the whatever it was, cousin, whatever, relative, said, yeah, yeah, she did go. And the magician, the, the, the magician, the medium person, whatever, the, the, we'll just call him magician, the magician said to her, uh, no, she went, so she went to this magician, paid her money, but where's the son? The son's still going to church. So the, the mother goes back and says to the magician, well, you know, why isn't he stopped? You said that you can stop him. And the magician said these famous words, which I've never forgot. She said, "Um, I can't do anything. I can't do anything. And I advise you not to try to do anything. I cannot do any type of magic because the person who your son is with is too close to God. He's too much with God. And if you continue to do something, bad will happen to you. In other words, the magician got scared because she did her disgusting whatever she does there, does her spells or things like that. And what happens is that when they do it, on someone who's close to the church, it backfires. And it comes back on them. As I mentioned last time, remember the magician who did some magic on a Christian in Greece and he, was, um, he did the magic, then he went home and started frying some fish and the, the oil exploded all over, all, all over him. So Madame Vanessa, whatever her name was, got scared. She soiled her pants. I'll use baby language. She pooped herself. (laughs) Don't do anything because they're too close to the church. People believe that, oh, yeah, we've got to go and get exorcisms done and things, but that's dangerous. I know. I used to read them too, and other some priests read them, and it's actually like the guy that read them and later on was asking the demon whether he's going to get a job. It's very dangerous. One has to be quite has to be very very holy, and those even on Mount Athos, 
they, some of those priests over there, very spiritual people, but not all of them can do the exorcisms. Certain ones can do it. The answer is not always just to run and do exorcisms because what happens when you do exorcisms someone is you make the demons take revenge on that person, not only on the priest but also on the person who's been read if the preparation and the, and the process is not correct. Very dangerous. So let's have a look here. If an ill person asked all the Paishas to pray for his health, the elder would recommend confession and holy communion. He would say the same to students seeking to do well in their studies. When couples were having problems in their marriage, he would recommend that they find a spiritual father, receive communion and live spiritually. Regarding people who were suffering from spells, let's see what he's going to advise for them. He would say, if they are confessing and communing, it doesn't matter if people are burying them in spells. In other words, even if people are doing thousands of spells on, those people, on the person that communes and confesses, they've got nothing to fear. The spells cannot affect them. At feasts, when the elder would take the little refreshment that was offered after the service, like you know the the um, like the secular way, people go, "Oh, cheese!" In they don't do that in Manafas. They actually say "kalimetanya," which means good repentance. He would prescribe repentance and a general as a general and powerful medicine for all conditions. Repentance was at the core of all his preaching. Now that's going to be a current theme through this repentance because we don't really hear it much anymore. Father Athanasius Mitinineos, who passed away in 2006, a very popular preacher, and he did a lot of talks. Uh, he said, influenced by the Christianity of the West, our church communities today are mainly preoccupied with the provision of social activities for the youth where the young people can have fun and play ping pong or sports. However, he says, do we cultivate a spirit of repentance through these things? So while they're hitting the ball, the priest can say, have you repented lately? Or did you get that over the net in time? He says, um, how do we cultivate a spirit of repentance through these things? Or do we limit ourselves to some basketball or soccer tournaments? It is nice to have slideshows, videos and spiritual films to keep our children off the streets. But do we also cultivate the spirit of salvation? From the moment that we fail to create a spirit of repentance along with these activities, you can do those activities. But if it's just those activities, which is today in the majority of the churches, and there's not no uh, sermons and urgency of repentance and salvation, then they can go to the police boys' club. They can go to other places for that. Think Hurstville. They've got some ping-pong place over there with, like, a lot of tables. Why, why do they go to the church for that? 
It's nice to have slideshows and spiritual films to keep our children off the streets, but do we also cultivate the spirit of salvation? From the moment that we fail to create a spirit of repentance, along with these activities, then it's more than obvious that the church is no longer on the right path. Truthfully speaking, a church that keeps and maintains a spirit of repentance has priority, stressing precisely that spirit to the faithful. Only this church is walking the true path because by doing so, souls are being earned for the kingdom of God. That's what the devil wants. No preaching on repentance. Barbecues, games, dinners, dances, those things. Shashlik, so how the Russians say it? Is it shashlik or something? Bar, that's, what's that? Like a kebabs, is it? Elder Saint Ignatius Brentinov said, says there, well, I think Saint Theophan the Recluse, I think he's quoting maybe, I can't remember. He said that people today with worldly spirits, with a worldly spirit there, don't go to priests who speak about those things. If the priest does, or the monk does miracles, they'll go. But if the miracles are mixed with repentance and things, it's, it, that people don't like that. Actually, he says that the people of the world hate priests, slander them, want to rip them apart if they could, those who preach repentance. Why did the Jews and the others at that time hate Christ? Because he was preaching repentance and was correcting them and telling them, this is the commandments, you're not doing the right thing, and they knew that. They didn't like that. A church that does not stress and promote the need for repentance at all times is a church of no help. It does not help people gain their salvation. We all fall. We fall daily. And since we fall daily into sin, we are in need of repentance on a daily basis. That is, if we want to be saved. That is the function of a priest. These other things can be organised by others. That's the purpose of the church. What was Christ's first words? Repent. What was St. John the Baptist's first words? Repent. What were, the saints, what were the main theme of the saints when they would preach to people? Repent. What's today's main message? Be good people. What counts is what's in your heart. If someone wants to be the opposite sex and they, they've got some, you know, they're going to go into what's called, they're going to transit into whatever the transgender, they want to change, it doesn't matter. What's, what's important is what's in their heart. If a person's committing adultery, well, you know, he's, uh, the main thing is what's in his heart. That's why today you see movie stars, sportsmen, uh, act, uh, um, the ones that sing and all those um, entertainers. 
they lead, a lot of them lead horrible lives. That the people say, but they're good people because they give nice songs. And they also go to Africa and help people. So even though their songs are blasphemous, and even though their songs are teaching really bad things to children, what's important is that they're good, that they're good people. But Christ said out of, out, of the, out of the heart comes fornication and the evil eye and, and um, hate and jealousy. That comes out of the heart. So the person expresses what's in their heart. If these people are promoting sexual immorality, homosexuality, unnatural sexual acts, magic, mediums, all these things, if that's what they're promoting, that's because that's what's coming out of their heart. And then you've got people that come along and say, as long as they've got a good heart. So they must have two hearts then. One heart is having the sewage coming out and the other heart is a good heart. Okay, Abed Haralambos de Nisiatis has a wonderful um, story here. The ever memorable one believed the source of unhappiness and differences in families was their distancing from the church and the holy sacraments, meaning confession, communion, etc. A Christian, he would say, who does not attend church, who doesn't pray, doesn't go to confession, doesn't partake of Holy Communion, is an unfenced vineyard where at any moment the door is open for the thieves, that is, the demons, to come in and to destroy it. Now that's blunt. That's the, 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 uh, he was a spiritual child of St. Elder Joseph. He was the abbot of um, the Nisio Monastery on Manalfos. Uh, they say that he was a teacher of the Jesus prayer and things like that. And you just said it straight out there. Those who do not do those things are unprotected. A man once confessed that for no apparent reason his wife became cold towards him and turned away from him to such a degree that he was in danger of being divorced, although they had two children. The man had heard that someone who was jealous of them cast a spell with the intention of taking his wife. So in other words, he had heard that some man wanted his wife and did magic to pull them apart so that she can go to him. Perplexed, he asked the elder, Elder, does sorcery exist and can it cause such problems? Because this person didn't know. And the elder said, does it exist? It very well exists. But whom does it affect? It affects whoever the evil one finds naked and defenceless. Naked meaning what he said before. A person who doesn't commune and doesn't uh, confess often and pray and lead a spiritual life. And the man said, meaning what, elder? What does that mean, naked and probably defenseless? Naked is the one who doesn't have a relationship with the church and defenseless is the Christian who doesn't have contact and a relationship with Christ, the holy sacraments, prayer, confession and holy communion. 
If you want, read the life of St Cyprian and you will see how that head sorcerer humbled himself before a little girl, Eustina. Indeed, St Cyprian denied Satan and witchcraft when he realised that spells can't affect Christians, which is what I said earlier on. A lot, of me, a lot of these magicians do change because they were tricked to believe that the devil is the almighty, but God is almighty, not, not him. And the devil can do nothing unless God permits him. That's another special thing which we have to look at. The devil can do nothing of his own will. If we remember the example of the possessed person who, in the gospel where the demons said, do not send us away, send us into those pigs there. And God said, Christ said, go. He, they asked permission. If we read the Old Testament, where Job, the um, much suffering there, where it says that the devil appeared to God in heaven and asked permission to do those things that he did to Job, which is make him sick and make his children die and all those type of things and his cattle and his slaves and all those uh, things that, were, that, that, that happened if, from the Old Testament there. He asked permission for every single step. That's why Christians aren't scared of the demons. Demons are blind puppets. And as St Anthony said, if it wasn't for the demons, no one would be saved. It's the demons which help us be saved because they fight us. When they fight us, we fight back. A lot of people have come to the church. One, there was one uh, in the Contemporary Aesthetics of Man Athos, Volume 2. That one's by St. Herman of Alaska, Brotherhood. Ex, I think it was the last story in that volume, St. Uh, Elder Yerasimus, Yerasim, where it says there that he, was, he got mixed up with a lot of magic. And when he tried to get away from them, from them he was tormented. And he said that, he, that by being tormented, he realised the existence of the evil spirits, how much they hate man, and how powerful God is. And that's what made him stronger in his faith. Indeed, St Cyprian denied Satan and witchcraft when he realised that spells can't affect Christians. He became a Christian and such a fervent one that he was martyred with Justina for his faith in Christ. The fact that your wife has not yet decided to forsake you means that you are not completely defenceless. However, to be saved from this temptation, you must struggle harder. So it looks like they were Christians to some level, but not strong enough to protect them completely. So this little bit of action happened where they began, or she began to, she began to hate him. However, sorry, to be saved from this temptation, you must struggle harder. If they were completely away from the church, they probably would have divorced straight away. Anyway, give me the name of your wife. I will especially commemorate her in the divine liturgy. And every day I will say a prayer rope for both of you. But I want more from you. 
You will pray for yourself and your wife and you will regularly take communion. See, it's not where someone just thinks, oh, I'm going to get prayers done. That's enough. And that's why I like this. That's why I picked this example. He says, yes, I will commemorate you every day in the liturgy because Elder Haranabos used to serve every day. Liturgy. He had that practice. Every day he would serve. And when a priest serves like that regularly, they become so accustomed to the liturgy and so um, absorbed that that um, that's why people prefer to give names to monasteries that do services every day, or in particular to elders that serve like that every day. But anyway, but it says here. It wasn't enough just to do that. I want you to do this. You will pray for yourself and your wife and you will regularly take communion. If your wife allows your, your if your wife follows your example, then you have won her. Otherwise, you will ask for forbearance, for patience from the Lord until he heals her. Tell me, do you keep the feast fasts of the church? Well, I keep something, said the man. Well, you'll increase that something. Can you fast from oil on Wednesdays and Fridays? Can you have no oil Wednesday and Friday? I goes, I don't know, Elder, because I work very hard. He goes, okay. If I told you, if I told you our own program here, we work even harder. Let it be. In other words, okay, you can't do what we do. If you can't, at least stop at the oil and don't have more. So in other words, if you at least have oil on Wednesdays and Fridays, but don't have like meats and chickens and eggs and cheese and, and all that type of stuff fish. However, when you take communion, you won't have oil on Friday and take communion at least every two to three weeks. If you are able to, I would tell you to to commune even more often. Here we take communion three or four times a week. By the way, that young fellow that I mentioned earlier that the magician couldn't do anything, she got scared. He was communing uh, three to four times a week. Of course, that's hard for some married people because other factors involved. But when you see people that go months without communion, you just say to yourself, what's the point? Why even go to church? With fear of God, faith and love draw near. The priest comes out with the chalice. And people don't come. That's what the purpose of the liturgy is, so people can commune. St. Basil used to encourage people in his times to commune four times a week. St. John Christum used to encourage people in his time to commune every day. By the way, the person who was helping that young fellow who the, the magician did magic on as well, that's why it got a bit affected, but it went away. Uh, if I remember correctly, he was communing at least Saturday and Sunday when he wasn't working, and and when he could, he would commune in night services again. So that person was communing three times a week, four times a week, whatever, and tried to have a, as a rule to commune at every liturgy. 
Now, of course, as I said, some of you can't do that. Father John Christiankin said, at least every two weeks. What does Father Haralambo say here? At least every two to three weeks. You know, I, start, I say to people, start on once a month. Speak to your spiritual father, start on once a month, and then at least every two weeks. There are people who don't go at all. Or they go a few times a year. Something's not right. As in the above case, the elder helped many families stay together and with his simple but wise counsels, restored harmony and peace and mutual love. What a wonderful, that was a very, that was a wonderful um, uh, story. Of course, today, uh, you know, sometimes it's even hard for people to keep in our world, especially when they have to work, travel, and some, a lot of people are very sick more and more now. And um, I know that some people, even if they fast a little bit, start to shake. Truly, they, you know, and so we have to have discernment. I always say, never allow fasting to be an obstruction to communion. If someone is sick, they're already fasting. The purpose of fasting is to humble the body. But if someone is sick, their body is already humbled. So you've got to be careful. Like you're kind of a sick person trying to keep these fasts. Then later on they get sick and they don't commune at all. What's the point in that? Blessed is the person who communes on the day that they die. Because it says there that they will, if they've confessed as clean as possible, they are taken through the Torah house's without obstruction. One woman went to church, to one, I think it was a Greek church here. She communed. She went out. A car hit her. She died. Some dopes went and said, well, what's the point? She communed and she dies. That's the whole point. The point is that she communed and she died and therefore if, she, if, she, if her confession was clear, she was a pious person, then she's saved. St. Nicodemus writes, because I read in the last talk, I read in the last talk about that horrible practice where people were shocked that when people are being married during the crowning, some demonic people come and read some prayers and tie knots, if you remember. And the purpose of that is to mostly to make the man impotent, in other words, that he can't have sexual uh, relations with his wife and things like that. And they bury it. And causes disasters in the marriage, which usually break up. Saint Nicodemus on that writes, men and women who are going to get married in order to put aside any fear of being bound through magic while they are being crowned should confess before the wedding, fast for three days and be crowned during the celebration of the liturgy, which is how they used to do it years ago. That's the best way to do it. Unfortunately, they don't do that anymore, but that's, um, 
I was present once. The Serbians did it once at the church at uh, Rudy Hill. What church is that? St. Stephen, I think. And they actually, um, I think it was the deacon's daughter or something, and they actually did the wedding within the liturgy. That's, uh, you know, back in those days, back in the old days, they used to do, um, even the baptism was done within the liturgy. That's why the structure of the marriage service and the structure of baptism is similar to the liturgy. Both start with blessed is the kingdom of the Father and of the Son of the Holy Spirit. They've got all certain parts, epistles, gospels, like in the liturgy, our Father towards the end and things like that. So within that, they used to... Anyway, that can't be done now, but the point is that at, at, at least that people should clean themselves out, confess before the wedding feast, fast for three days and be crowned. Anyway, and thus commune of the holy mysteries. You can't commune during your marriage ceremony. Commune beforehand. Above all, married couples should have firm and unwavering faith in the Lord whose desire is to destroy demonic activity. What's there to be scared of if you have got Christ on your side? Whatever they do, they can tie knots all day if they want. They can tie the knots from Sydney to Wollongong. There's a big rope like that. But at the end of the day... It does nothing, and it's most probable that when someone, not that we wish it, but when, when they're doing that to a couple who is in the church, then they might even use the same rope that they made all their knots to hang themselves, because a lot of times that's what happens. These people commit suicide. When you play with the devil, the devil can be, you, think you, you can think he's your friend, he's not your friend. He hates everyone. He hates the magicians too. When he has no further use for them, he destroys them. If because certain Christians have little faith, demons produce illusions, then he goes on and just talks about a couple of other things apart from the marriage. He gave a little bit more of advice, which I thought was good to help us with the beginning of the talk. If because certain Christians have little faith, demons produce illusions at the tombs of certain people, in houses or in some other place, you should call a priest to chant the blessing of the waters and sprinkle the place with holy water and through divine grace, such demonic activity will be dispelled. Like the example of the plumber fellow that I said and all the other examples, holy water service, things like that. And when, as he didn't say it here, but those people that they supposedly the souls See, they, what they do is um, you see the, the soul of a person supposedly around the grave. It's not the soul of the person, it's a demon making out that he's the soul of the person. So that people can get all confused with what happens in the next life. They don't have, they, they're not allowed to come. Very rare, and as I said before, very rare. And when people go to mediums, or, or watch these things on television of these mediums talking to dead people and giving messages, it's all lies. Like they give messages, so they're communicating with the dead person. So they get some things right, they get some things wrong. What's the, what's, what's the problem? Why do they get some things wrong? Because God makes them say things wrong, so people can wake up and go, look, he's saying rubbish. Um, indeed, especially when a Christian is to go build, to, to, is going to build a house 
or a mill or to construct a boat, let him send for a priest to chant the blessing of the waters and read the prayer in the book of needs for the foundation of a house and then let him lay the foundation of the house or construct the boat, which is what I said earlier on. Is it the like a little... Okay, that five-minute break for beverages and then we do another one hour for those who can endure and then we'll have some food. Okay. This, this next section comes from Elder Baisha's book, Spiritual Counsels Number One, With Pain and Love for Contemporary Man. I found it in there and I thought this would be excellent for today's theme. If people, he said, only went to a spiritual father to confess their sins, the demonic influence would cease and they would be able to think more clearly. Nowadays, they cannot even think because of demonic influence. And that's correct. I've mentioned that before. People's minds are clouded due to sin because people don't confess, free themselves from these sins they are under some type of demonic influence. So he says, the older says, repentance and confession deprive the devil of his rights over us. Now, this, this, word, these, this expression that he uses is important because he uses it continually throughout his writings. He says... It deprive, repentance and confession deprive the devil of his rights over us. What does that mean? Well, let's see if he, what he's going to complain, what he's going to explain. The devil has neither power nor control over those who have faith, go to church regularly and receive Holy Communion. Again, it's the same thing. Elder Haralambos said that. And you'll notice all the saints, they all say the same thing. Elder Cleopa, St. John Chrysostom, St. Nicodemus, whose icon is there. All the saints, they say the same thing. The devil has neither power nor control over those who have faith, go to church regularly and receive Holy Communion. He just barks a little uff-uff, in other words, like a little dog without teeth. And what the elder's trying to say is, when a dog's got teeth, you're scared. But when a dog has no teeth, then you're not going to be very scared because it's not going to be able to do any damage. Because that's how the devil is, he says. It's like a dog without teeth. He makes noise, but he can't hurt you. But he has great power over one who has no faith and gives him the excuse to take over. In other words, the devil has no teeth for Christians who are leading spiritual lives, in particular, he says, repentance and confession and Holy Communion. But the devil has teeth for those who don't. And look, look what he says. He says, he can make him hang himself and tear him to pieces with his teeth. The devil's authority upon a soul depends on the rights this soul has granted him. So when we sin and we don't fix up that sin through repentance and confession, etc., 
then we give the devil authority over us. That's what he's trying to say. When the devil has been allowed to acquire great rights over a man and man and has him in his grip, the, the cause that will bring this power to an end must be found. So when someone's got demonic problems, he always, he always would say, we have to investigate what right does that devil have over that person to have that demonic influence. So you go to a doctor and you say, I've got a pain over here. The doctor starts investigating. What could it be? It takes effort. Sometimes he can say it's pretty quickly and sometimes he might take a long time. I've gone to doctors quite sick a lot of times and sometimes it takes years. I remember that I was very, very sick for many years and um, I went to the doctors, the doctor, the doctor there, and after a couple of years they finally discovered that I had the thyroid problem. But during those years I suffered quite a lot because it was undiagnosed. So therefore, when someone has demonic problems, an investigation needs to be done by the spiritual father and the person themselves. Otherwise, he said, if that's not done, no matter how intensely the others pray for someone, the devil will not leave him. So the elder speaking from his own experience that people that have got problems and you can commemorate them, you can do whatever you want, do unctions for them and they don't get better from their demonic problems, it's because something is going wrong. There's something in that person that needs to, that needs to be fixed up. And that's why even if a saint prays for you, even if all the, all the saints pray for you, that person cannot be helped unless it's discovered what power, why does the devil have power over that person. The devil will cripple a man if they've got influence over them. Priests may do exorcisms over and over again but the possessed man ends up paying the price since the devil will then torture him even more because of the exorcisms. That's what I said earlier. See? A person has a demonic problem. They, instead of investigating to see why does that person have that problem, the person runs and gets exorcisms done. And what happens there? Look, he says it here. The elder says it. He ends up suffering more because the devil will take it out on him. Unless we repent and go to confession and destroy the rights that the devil has over us, he will not go away and we will always be troubled. As long as the devil has these rights, he will not go away even if one reads and rereads exorcisms for days, weeks, months or years. And I love that. You can do prayers, you can do unctions, you can commemorate, they can commune, they can whatever... There needs to be an investigation. That person has to examine himself and be sincere to find out why the demons have power over that person. And in that case of that person, I will tell you what, what, it, what it is that 
he did not have sincere repentance and he was living a hypocritical Christian life and God allowed that to happen for, for his good to wake him up. Father John Christiankin was quite sceptical about the practice of exorcism. And not because he thought it was incorrect, but because he believed that negative influences, in other words, what Elder Paisius calls demonic influence, from the spiritual world on a person could only be healed by personal repentance, confession, and taking of Holy Communion. Not this magical thing. People think, oh, you just get an... I've got all these problems and it will go away. I just get the priest to read me an exorcism. People have even said that to me. He goes, oh, can you... I said, I'm not doing that. You need to go and fix up yourself. That said, Elder John Christiankin, he did not contradict the usefulness of the actual prayer rite used to drive out demons, but he was concerned that those who came to be exercised were only really there to be healed by others, but without doing anything on their own for healing. And in spiritual life, it just doesn't work that way. Some people treat the priest like a, like, a, like a magician. You, you, like as if they're cavemen, you make me better. I had a person chasing me once. Chasing me around the church, chasing me in the street, like just walking. And I said, what do you want? He goes, I want you to read me exorcisms. I want to be free. I've got these problems. I want to have a girlfriend once again. I want to be able to have a happy life. It doesn't work like that. Please, please. I said, no. And what they do is they go and find some priest that will do it. They get read. And they become worse because the demons jump on them and rip them apart. Now, here's a very good example. So many people, this is, the old, this is Elder Paisus now, so many people come to me asking for help in their problems, but they don't go to confession or to church. Do you ever go to church? I ask them. No, they tell me. Have you ever gone to confession? No, I came to you to make me well. But how am I going to do this, said the elder? You have to repent of your sins and transgressions and confess them. You have to go to church. You have to receive Holy Communion when your spiritual father gives you the blessing. And I also will pray for you to get well. That's it. That's the condition, he says. Go, confess, repent, confess, listen to the spiritual father, and then I can pray for you. Are you forgetting, the elder says to the person, that there's another life ahead and we need to prepare ourselves for it? Look, Father, all these things you say about church, the other life and so on, don't concern me. They're fairy tales. I've been to magicians, I've been to psychics, 
and they haven't been able to heal me. I've heard that you can heal me. Now, how? So that's what he said. You heal me. So he's gone to psychics. He's been to clairvoyance. He's been to mediums. He's been all these places. And now he comes to the elder or to a priest or whatever and treats them as just another magician. That's the, that's the mentality of people. Now, the elder says, how can you put some sense into such a person? So priests have to be very, very careful. You talk to them about confession, about the future life, and they tell you that such things as fairy tales. But on the other hand, they insist, help me, I'm on drugs. But how can I help them? They expect to be healed magically. Like what I just said, which is, which, is, which, which is correct. That's what they look. They look at the priest as a, like a magician. In the life of Elder Thaveos, the Serbian, the book, uh, Our Thoughts Determine Our Life, something like that, there was an example there of an author of a book from, who came, I think, from Belgrade down to see the... Well, I don't know where the old, where Elder Thaddeus was. Where was he? Do you know? What monastery? Hmm? Yeah, where's that? North, South, somewhere. Anyway, he, they, this, this author of a book went to Elder Thaddeus there, holy person, who died a few years ago, and said to him, I've come to ask you a question. My book has been published. Do you think it's going to get a lot of sales? Something along those lines. And the elder says, I'm not a, I'm not a psychic. You don't come to a priest like that as if we're psychic. But no, spoke to him gently. Elder, ba Elder Baishus continues, and even though their problems are caused by their sins, many of them don't go to a spiritual father for help, but instead they resort to confessing to psychologists, hmm. where they tell them their story and receive advice for their problems. That's interesting. They don't go to the priest, but they go to the psychologists. For example, if they have to cross a river... He gives an, like an analogy now. If you have to cross a river, the psychologist throws them into it and they either drown or swim to the, to the shore. But is it the right shore? So there's a river. And this is the, the psychologist, the way they work is they say, OK, I can help you, but the way I'm going to help you is they push you into the river and then they say, OK, now you've got to go to the shore. Now the person either drowns or he makes it to the shore, but the problem is, is it the correct shore? So someone can get a bit better by going to a psychologist. But is that better? Like, for example, a person's got mental issues, some problems there. They go to the psychologist and then they, you see them later on. They go, I'm feeling much better now. I'm feeling really good. I go, oh, how come? He goes, oh, I'm, and I'm, I'm, um, I'm feeling much better. I'm doing exercise now. And I go, oh, yes, and lost weight, yes. And what else? And, go, and I'm now... Um, I've got my own website and I'm really, really happy. What's your website? Uh, pornography. And I'm really happy. My life's going much better, plenty of money, things like that. So people can go to these places, 
but are they going to the correct shore? Are they in some fantasy? Are they doing? Are they on some other? The devil can help you a bit and say, okay, as long as you don't go to church, be successful in other things. But the person is still spiritually sick. That was an extreme case. But there's people that you can see that they're in some pride, some um, uh, other things that are not godly. But they are happy now. For example, if they have said that, however, if they go to confess their sins to a spiritual father, they will cross over to the other side of the river without difficulty by using the bridge because the grace of God through the mystery of repentance and confession works on the soul and they are redeemed. Now, Elder Porfirio said the same thing. Elder Porfirio said that this psychoanalysis that they used to do earlier on, now they just use pills, but earlier on, sometimes they sometimes use the cognitive thing, but when psychology was, very, was more popular, um, especially in the 60s and things like that, people were going, oh, everyone had their own psycho- psych- psych- psychiatrist. And the main thing that they, there they did this, they went and talked about their childhood and went into all the fears and anxieties and disturbances that are in their soul. They would open up. And what happened was a lot of those people became worse and committed suicide and became really sick because they opened up the insides that they couldn't cope with what they saw. And Elder Porfirio says that when that happens, you need the grace of God to soothe the person, to help the person deal with those issues, to heal them, in other words. But today, as, as you know, most of, the, most of the way the psychiatrists work today is medication. A lot of people on medication. Those pharmaceutical companies are very powerful, powerful creatures, very, very powerful. A lot of the truth to their medication is not said. Some people need it, some people don't. The majority, like for example, how many hundreds and thousands of children are on psychiatric medicine? Children on psychiatric medicine. You know, and now and then you can, they start to, little, little bits of truth are coming out. It's unnecessary. Unnecessary. I don't know if these doctors get kickbacks or they get, or they get some commission. It makes me sick. They put little children on these very heavy drugs without really examining. These doctors have been given too much power. They've got power to put a child on medication themselves. No one's policing that. And they just, the child comes, the parent comes, brings the child to the doctor, as if the doctor's God, and then says, my child's unsettled. And then they say, okay, well, it's got ADHD and ABCs and whatever else, other letters they say. And they said, we can, we just put them on um, this. That could be after five minutes. It's been, it's been very agitated lately. Well, 
if the doctor gave a bit of time instead of wanting to, to swipe the Medicares, one, two, three, continually, they would ask a few questions and maybe find out that there's a problem. It could be the television. Maybe it's watching some show which is um, scary. Could be the parents are fighting. One woman told me, she goes, oh, my son's been a bit funny lately. It's just a bit closed, not the same as usual. I said, okay. Perhaps he's been bullied at school. He goes, oh, he hasn't said anything. I go, it doesn't mean it's not happening, is it? So she asked, came back, rang me up and said, he's been bullied and I didn't even know. So she had to go up and fix up the problem. If she took him to the doctor, then he would have been on a, a nice cocktail of drugs there to destroy him once and for all. And the other example, which is a horrible example, years ago when I went to a house, they had a, ba- a child there, one, two years old, who, who they had strapped on their high chair. So I've said, I've said this before, I can never forget this example. It's a very good example. And the child was going berserk, as they say. It, the hair was everywhere. She was screaming and screaming and screaming and like, like she was possessed. And I um, thought was there something wrong with that child. What is wrong with the child to be acting like that? So I thought to myself that the child is acting funny and, it, and um, somehow in my mind I got the thing that the child's hungry, got like a blood sugar problem, which cause I know because I get that sometimes my head starts spinning and that I said something's wrong so I said to the mother I said I think the child's hungry he goes no it doesn't want I go why don't you try so they took some food there whatever and it was just whacking it and says see she doesn't want it proud woman she was so proud that instead of looking looking to see for the reason it was like who are you to tell me that my child's hungry or not that's how proud people are, horrible. And um, so I, I thought to myself that the child has, is, is hysterical and there's no way that that child can eat because to eat you've got you to use your mouth and chew and when children are really, really tired or they're hysterical or something like that and they can't coordinate. So I thought to myself, that child has to get something into its bloodstream quick. And being not a medical person, can't put on a drip. So I thought to myself, well, bake some milk and we'll give her some milk because that will go straight into the system. So they did the milk and the child whacked the milk out of the hand and then the mother goes see see it's not hungry and I said hold the hands down 
hold her hands down. I don't want to hear people say, oh, child abuse. So hold the hands down and put the, put the um, bottle of milk into the mouth. So they did that and she drank the milk within, um, no, it's not exaggeration, within about a minute. It was like, like it was going like, like crazy. And actually I couldn't believe, I don't know, one, two minutes, but it, uh, that, that milk looked like it was like disappearing within really, really quick. Now I said, now give us some food. Give some food. So the mother, whose face by now was black from, um, from um, demonic uh, pride, gave the child some food and a plate. The child... Bob, sorry, I forgot to say, after the child drank the milk, this child that was, had the hands, had to tie the hands down, child cruelty, had to hide the, hide the, town, the hands down, and the child was going berserk and kicking the feet and things like that. After it gulped the milk down within a minute and it finished, it went and smiled. It actually smiled, the child smiled. And then it ate three bowls of food. And the mother, instead of saying, oh, thank you for helping, I didn't even know, I, couldn't, I just didn't work it out. I thought it was, because she actually was saying, the mother was saying, put it to bed. She's not hungry, put it to bed. Throw, throw it in the bed like a dog. For some reason, I wasn't invited to that house anymore. And the child ate the food and was calm. It was blood sugar. The child was going berserk because the mother, sorry, but was incompetent. She didn't, she didn't know how to feed the child. I said, it doesn't matter. I said, well, just repent. We all make mistakes. I make mistakes as a priest a lot of times. I might give advice to someone, muck it all up. I can't just, you know, jump off a cliff. Got to keep on going. We ask God for forgiveness. We ask God for enlightenment. We keep on going. You made a mistake, you made a mistake. So why did I bring that example up? Does anyone remember? Because I'm um, getting a bit tired and I kind of forgot. Ah, it could look demonic. It doesn't mean it is demonic. That's why I'm, I'm, I'm emphasising that. Don't go away and be really silly and backward and say, that's demonic and that's demonic and that's demonic and that's that, she's possessed, that's possessed. This, well, it doesn't, that, you know, someone's done magic on me, someone's done magic on my child. All these things are silly. If you took him to the doctor, then he would have been on a, a nice cocktail of drugs. He said here... Once a middle-aged man came to the Kalivi there, to his house, with a certain air about him. The moment I saw him from a distance, says the elder, I realised that he was under demonic influence. He, he had that insight and he knew. He said to me, I came to you to help me. Pray for me because for a year now I've been having these terrible headaches and the doctors can't find anything wrong with me. I told him right out, 
this is the eldest head straight out, you have a demon because you've given certain rights to the devil. I haven't done anything, he said. You haven't done anything, I asked. Didn't you cheat on the young girl? So it looks like, didn't you cheat on a young girl? He probably promised that he's going to marry her. They had relations and things like that. Then he dumped her. And the elder was, didn't like that. He was very much against, well, he didn't like sex before marriage, but especially when that happened. Go now. Oh, sorry. Didn't you cheat on, on a young girl? Well, she went and had a magic spell put on you. Go now and ask for her forgiveness and then go to confession and let the priest read exorcisms over you so that you can regain your health. If you don't admit your sin and do not repent, all the spiritual fathers in the world gathered together to pray for you won't be able to remove the demon. When such people come to me with such airs, I speak to them very openly and directly. They need to be shaken in order to come to their senses, which is what I was saying earlier on. The priest needs sometimes to speak strictly to shake people up. That's why sometimes I say blunt things. I say things which are a bit shocking. I do that on purpose. Don't mean to upset anyone. I do that on purpose because I want to get a reaction. When people react, a lot of times they won't forget it. One person wrote to me in a positive way, listens to the talks, downloads them and all that, and he said, and he, and he wrote then, he said, um, um, I love the talks, they help me a lot, and, you know, uh, Father Kuzmas is brutally honest, called me a brute, but in a, in a, in, in a, in a good sense, brutally honest. I thought there was a good description. Sometimes that's, what, that's, that's what's necessary because people are like what's in Greek we call anesthetic, which means they're insensitive. So even the psychiatrists sometimes, they say that persons in, you know, like that, they used to give electric shock. They still use that sometimes. I don't know whether, whether it's good or not, but they use it. And um, I don't think it's good anyway. I think it, it does bad, but that's what they use to shock the person. So... In the spiritual life, sometimes then people need some shock. When all other means don't work. Another man told me that his wife was possessed, said the elder Paisios. She was constantly making trouble in the house. She would get up at night, wake up the others and turn upside, things upside down. I asked him, do you go to confession? He replied, no. Perhaps you have given certain rights to the devils. He uses that word continually. For such things don't happen for no reason. Finally, we discovered that he had gone to a hodja. It's a Muslim cleric type of, you know, those hodjas there, who had given him something to sprinkle in the house for good luck and so that the man's work could go well. See? So he went to the hodja there, not to the priest, to, to, to the Muslim, and the Muslim gave him some stuff, who knows what it, what it was, and said, sprinkle it around in your house and then your, your business will go well. And, and um, the man did not even consider his actions so important, just listened like a dope. That's my, I, I, I put that in. After that, of course, the devil was free to roam about in that household. Yerunda, meaning elder, someone asked him, if sorcery is working on someone, how can it be broken? So he answers, 
It can be broken by repentance and confession. Again, the same thing. This is why one must first find the reason why sorcery worked on him and acknowledge the mistakes he had made and then repent and confess. Same thing again. I was speaking to a woman the other day and I said to her, have you confessed everything? She goes, I have confessed as much as I remember everything all out. She had this thing, she wanted to confess everything. That's good. That's what we all should do. Don't leave things in us. And he said he, so many people come to me tormented by some sort of sorcery and say to me, please pray for me to be free of this torment. They ask me for help without searching to find out the source of such evil and correct it. They should first find out where they have gone wrong, in other words, what sins they've done, which has allowed evil spells to become effective on them, and then they must repent, confess, and thus put an end to their suffering. That's why I counted and say, if someone does magic on a Christian, an Orthodox Christian, and that Christian is knocked around. That can be a blessing in disguise. Why? Because it's indi- it indicates to that person that some part of them is not right. And it can help them to go deeper into themselves, think about their life, think about their past, think about whether they're struggling, intensify their struggle and make them even stronger Christians. And pretty much it goes pretty quickly. Yerunda, or Elda, can, can others help someone who has received the evil influence of sorcery and has gotten to the point where he can't help himself and can't go to confession. Yeah, some people, when they're really under the influence, they won't even go to church and they can't even go to a priest. They're quite bad. And he said, this is what he says, which is a good point. He says, they can invite a priest to the house to perform the blessing of the holy water or the sacrament of holy unction. So the person doesn't want to go to the church, well, take the priest there. They can give the person some holy water to drink, hoping that some of the evil may lessen and allow Christ to enter into him. This is what the mother did for her child, and his condition improved. She had told me that her son was suffering from the evil influence of sorcery. I told her that he should go to confession, but, he, but she said, Father, how can he go to confession in the terrible state that he's in? I can't even get him to church, in other words. Then I advised her to invite the priest to the house to do the blessing of, of water. Will he drink the holy water? I asked. Yes, he will drink it, she replied. Well, then, start with the blessing of the water. Then have the child try to speak with the priest. If he manages to confess this way, the devil will be driven out. I reassured her. Indeed, she listened to me and the child was helped. After that, he was able to make a full confession and become well. So slowly, slowly. Some people, uh, it is very difficult because the power on them is very strong. Now, I'm going to read quickly some examples I'm going to read quickly some examples which, um, to make a point that I wanted, what I said earlier on. 
This is again from the book of Elder, Blessed Elder Hararambos Dinisiatis. Uh, someone went to him and said, Holy Elder, I don't know what's happening to me. I fell in love with my wife and I married her. In the beginning, our life was heavenly. However, now I don't know what's wrong with me. I can't stand the sight of her. I react inside me. I have an aversion. It's bad. When she looks at me, I feel like I'm seeing my enemy in front of me. Now my life is hell. What should I do? Shall I divorce her? Divorce her? Are you serious? Said the elder. You mad? Do you understand, my child, that marriage is one of the seven sacraments of our church? Don't you know you have promised God that you will carry the cross of marriage until death? Do you think that you can do your own thing in marriage? Well, elder, why do so many people divorce every day? Well, said the elder, well then, if most people go mad and deny their faith, are we going to, are we going to say, well, that's the trend now? Do we have to follow the same trend? Well, because people are doing, a lot of things people are doing today. He says, does it mean that because of that we do it? That is, if the world decided to go to hell with these trends, are we also going to follow them to hell? You are now saying that your life is hell. If you go to that frightful eternal hell, if you can't take the hell that you're living in your marriage, how are you going to live in hell forever, which burns the fornicators, adulterers, and all who have revoked their marriage? What will you do then? Very heavy words. So So it says here that, Um, which burns the fornicators, those who have sex outside of marriage, adulterers, those who cheat on their spouses, and all who have revoked their marriage. What will you do then? The elders spoke very strictly, as do all the saints. They didn't like divorce. There is only one marriage. We heard that in the previous talks. One marriage. Second and third marriages. Second marriages is, you know, as we said, the church condescends there, kind of out of economy, allows it. But there is really only one marriage. The church really considers the second marriage still to be like a transgression. And that's why in the ancient days there were penances given to those who married the second time, not to commune for a couple of years, And those who married the third time, it was exceptional. The church disliked it quite a lot and even didn't allow it if the person was over 40, if they already had children. There's all these these things. And um, some saints said there is no third marriage. They They despised it. But if someone's young, never had any children... Uh, the church can be a little bit there, but that wasn't looked at as being good. Those who had third marriage, I think, weren't allowed to commune for five years. But what shall I do, Father? Don't you understand that what's happening is clearly the work of Satan with his horns? You have a window open and you have, left, you have let him in. See, every saint's got a different way of saying it. He's saying you've left the window open. Elder Paisio says you're given the devil rights. They have different ways. All means the same thing. Whether the, whether, what? Elder Paisio says you're given the devil rights. Elder Paralambo says you have a window open and you have let him in to your soul. The older, having made the necessary suggestions and given him the relevant spiritual remedies, wished him goodbye. As he was leaving, the older said, 
I want you to come back again soon so I can see you. Until then, I will commemorate you and your wife every day and I will say a prayer for both of you. See the importance of the commemoration and prayers of a monastery? Not just give advice, but also to carry on and to pray for that couple. The youth followed the suggestions and with the help of the elders' prayers, didn't take long to return and announce to the happy news that he felt as if the cloud over his head had been lifted. From then on, his love and respect for his wife returned. Now, what do we note in this story? Was there anything mentioned about sorcery? No. Was there sorcery involved? No. But similar to the other stories we heard earlier on. In other words, not all demonic things are from sorcery. This wasn't. The devil hates marriage. That's why there's this fight today against marriage. And he wants to break up couples. What's really, really we need to put in our heads is the fact that this person couldn't stand his wife. He hated her. And yet, with confession and with the prayers and with the commemorations, he said that he loved her again. There was a cloud on him. That's why I don't like people come to me and say, it's over, it's over, that's it. I used to love him, I used to love her. There's no point. There's no, it, how do you know it's not going to get better? It can never become better. How do you know? Obviously it's not going to come better if you don't humble yourself and get some help. Elder Paisus related the following story. In the Peloponnese, there was someone who had dis distanced his son from church. He would say to his son, what's all this with church and priests and so on? He was like an unbeliever and he, and he taught his son to be an unbeliever. Don't go to church, it's all rubbish and it's all for money and whatever they, 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 he, he was saying. So God allowed the boy to become possessed. He turned into a real animal, said the, this is Elder Paisu speaking. He even tormented his own mother, by the way, just so that you know. Uh, I don't know if it's the same story in another book or a... Or a there was another, or it might be a different story or the same story, but anyway, there was another case, the same thing happened where the boy became like, a, like the same thing and the mother had to move away to the islands because the boy had developed unnatural desires for his own mother and she had to escape. That's how uh, possessed he was. So in this case, she had to move, whether it was because he was hitting her or whether it's because he had those problems or whatever, she had to go. He turned into a real animal. He even tormented his own mother. Finally, the poor woman had to leave the house. His father began to go to different monasteries. The doctors couldn't find anything wrong with the boy. He came to me asking, to Elder Pace, in other words, when will he get well? I told him, when you stabilise your spiritual situation, fix up your spiritual situation. He learned all the lives of the saints, the father did, learned about monasteries and so on. And the elder says, see how much trials help? In the beginning, he was fed up with priests. How trials help us? 
the elder said, man is compelled. This is why there are spiritual laws. In other words, in the spiritual law, there are trials so that people will draw near to God. So God allows sicknesses, can allow for someone to have demonic influence, whether from magic or whether from their own sins. It, it happens so that, that that person comes closer to God. A lot of them, they first go to magicians. I, I, they, they, that's true. They'll go to doctors. They'll go to psychiatrists. They'll go to mediums. They'll go here. They'll go there, everywhere. And at the end, a lot of them end up in church, and that's only the place where they get relief. When I went to Jerusalem as a lay person, before I was a priest, I gave this story before, there was a woman there, it was a group, I was part of a group, and we were venerating at the, at the, I think it was the prison where Christ was held. They had a little church there. All of a sudden, as people were venerating there, I heard this shriek, this, this shriek, which makes you have, you know, like gets your, your hair standing up. And I said, what was going on there? And then I noticed this woman had uh, started to... Um, she became, like, all distorted-looking and really stiff as a board, and she smashed herself on the ground. It's funny that nothing happens to them anyway. She fell on the ground, and um, uh, the priest read her some prayers there. Uh, she was possessed. And... Um, And then later on, she, re- she recovered. Anyway, somewhere along the, in the... She would often get like that some certain holy places. One day, somehow, I kind of, as we were going somewhere, I kind of went next to her, and I don't remember what I said to her, but I remember these words that she said. She said to me, you may see me being tormented. She said, but... This torment brought me close to God. She was very, very pious, very, very faithful. Now, you might say, why then does God not make her better? That's his knowledge. Sometimes, as elder pastors, they don't get better because if they do, they'll go back to their old ways. Sometimes God allows them for the sake of other people to see them suffering like that, to know the consequences of sin and to see that the evil does exist and demons do exist and that demons hate people. There's all different reasons. We don't know. But she, she had a lot of faith. When she would come into that crisis, as we say in Greek, crisis, um, uh, it was horrible to look at. But she had a lot of piety. And she said to me, God brought me close to him through these sufferings. Elder Paisius related the following story. A layman had fallen into delusion. A possessed person had told him, you have a cross on your head, go become a preacher. This is a good example of what I'm trying to say, that you avoid people who are possessed when they're speaking with demonic things. Avoid them. Now, in the case of that woman, it was part of a pilgrimage um, and... She blasphemed, but she didn't really speak out to people. And here's a story, here's what I'm talking about that why people shouldn't go. 
So this person was present at a must have been present at an exorcism or a possessed person was close. And the, and the demon through the possessed person, by the way, Elder Paisus gives the different, how to, how to know when someone is speaking of their themselves or whether the demons are speaking, which I didn't even know myself. He said that when a person's speaking of themselves, their mouth moves naturally as, like you see mine moving now because I'm speaking. Because when, it, when, it, when the demon's speaking, he says their mouths don't really move properly, it moves mechanically. So it's like it's moving a little bit, but not as a person does. And in that case, he says that's when they, the, uh, the demons are speaking. Anyway, so this possessed person, the demon said to this lay person that was there, you have a cross on your head. You should become a preacher. Remember, demons always use pride as a way to get their victims. And this person, and he came to get a blessing, the elder said, and I told him, he said, he went to the elder and said, Elder, I want your blessing. I'm going to become a preacher because uh, a possessed person said that he saw a cross on my head and therefore that God has got me set aside to become a preacher. Elder Paisio said to him, um, look, my son, you've got a demon. That is, the elder's visitor was possessed by a demon, a condition he fell after becoming deluded. Never had it before. As soon as he believed the demons, hence why it's dangerous to listen to them. And remember, one of the features of the, of the possessed people is they can tell people their sins unconfessed. So they'll do the following. They'll say... And you fell with that person yesterday and you stole that money and you did this. And they go around and say sins of people who have unconfessed sins. But they can't say the sins of people that have confessed them and have received absolution. Now the psychiatrist can't work that out. They want to say it's psychological. But of course there are some psychiatrists which are Christian and they know what's demonic and what's mental illness. In Russia, they had a test. How would they know if someone's possessed or if someone's mentally ill? They put a couple of cups of water in front. One of the, one of the cups had holy water. They didn't tell the person. He said, they'd start to talk to them, ask questions. And the, the patient would drink water. And then the, the, the doctor knew which one had the holy water in it. And the patient would get the holy water and drink it, put it down, normal. Then the, pre, then the, then the psychiatrist understood that the person was mentally ill. However, if they drank the holy water and they started burning and started to react and spit out the holy water and throw the cup, then they would know that the person is possessed and need a priest for exorcism. Sometimes the people can be both. They can be possessed and mentally ill. But in general, that's, that's, that's an elder by Israel used to do the same tests. What he would do is he would, because you're not sure if the person is mentally ill and pretending to be possessed for attention. So the elder used to do the following. When you go get the books, you'll read them all. He used to have a relic in his hand of a, of a saint. And he would talk to the person and he would 
without the person knowing, he goes, oh, well, you'll be all right, and he'll put the relic on the person, and the person will go, oh, what? what? What do you do? I'm burning. And then the elder goes, would say they're, they're possessed. Another one I like what I read in there, he says that he was in the church and there was a person that was agitated. We weren't sure, is he mentally ill? What's wrong with him? So the elder went and sat next to him. The person didn't know who the elder was. Sat next to him and the elder had a piece of the, had a cross which had a piece of the real cross in it. And the elder, the elder got the cross and as he was sitting next to him, he put the cross without the person knowing kind of on him a bit and the person was moving away and moved away, moved away without knowing moved to another part of the church and the elder knew that the person had demonic problems. So this person was possessed and he got possessed because he listened during, during, up to a possessed person. The demons will say, oh, sorry, but by the way, as they're saying everyone sins, then they can turn around and say, so once they go... <gasps> The people say, oh, you got my one. You know, they get scared, they get upset, they run out of the church, a lot of them. An atheist psychiatrist, when you say that to them, they go, that's not true. I've never seen it. Well, go and go and have a look. Be careful they don't jump on you. So he... I just lost the train of thought. The what was I saying? Does, does anyone remember the last part? Ah, oh, yeah. And then, as he's saying the sins and people are running out and things like that, then he'll go to a person and say, and you cheated on your wife when he hasn't. The wife listens, fighting, divorce, turns around to the priest and says, and you've done this and you've done that. And the people say, well, if you got my one right, then may, there must be the priest, then he must be saying the truth about the priest. And then people start having bad thoughts about the priest. It's all tricks. And that's why Christ, and you see the Apostle Paul and the Acts of the Apostles and Christ, when we read in the Gospels, said, be quiet. And that's why exorcisms are better to be done away from people in secluded areas if they need to be done and the priest to be there, not this open stuff that, that, that happens. So he said to the man, go to Stavrunikita Monastery so that they can read the exorcisms over you. Well, he got up and left and he went back into the world and delivered sermons. So he actually did it, went and preached. During one of the sermons, in front of everyone, the demon took hold of him and he started cursing the mother of God and blaspheming the things of God. Everyone left frightened. They ended up taking him to a mental hospital. He was humbled but he also fell into despair and became suicidal, since blasphemy is such a serious sin. When he came to see me again, I told him, God condescended to being blasphemed in order to save you, and so others would be saved. And that set him straight. In other words, he's saying that God allowed for you to blaspheme him so that you can come to your senses and others can also learn from that. Did anyone do magic on him? No? 
So how did he get possessed? How did he become influenced by demonic influence? Pride. And being tricked. Just this thing, I think, just to, to, to leave off to make people don't think that everything's um, demonic. They brought me a 25-year-old man, said the elder, and said that he was possessed. I gave him some holy water to drink, and the poor fellow didn't resist one bit. So, so much for the possession. So, I asked the father of the young man, how long has your son been sick? Ever since he was six years old, he told me. Apparently, when he was a child, his grandfather was killed, and when he saw the body, he suffered a nervous breakdown. Now you know how traumatic a nervous breakdown is to an adult, so you can imagine how much worse it is for a young and sensitive child. And they treat him like someone who is possessed. His was purely a psychological problem. He had trauma. And yet people thought he was possessed and probably took him for exorcisms and things like that. A person, he said, may have his illness or pain from some physical disability, yet others are telling him he's possessed that he needs an exorcism to expel the evil and unclean spirits. This is so inappropriate and embarrassing for the person. There are many children who are considered possessed when they don't have a demon at all. From the life of Elder Leonard, many possessed persons were also brought to Elder Leonard of Optina. There were, also, there were also not a few who did not know themselves that they were even possessed by a demon. It was only in the presence of the elder when he exposed the delusion concealed within them that they began to act demonised. So a person can be possessed, not know it, as long as he is not uh, going near the holies too much or especially when they go near a holy person, um, This would often happen with those lay ascetics who, lacking in understanding, believe their salvation of soul dependent upon the wearing of heavy chains without giving the thought to purify their heart from the passions. In Russia, and this still happens today, in Russia there were a lot of what's called lay ascetics. There was ascetics that were in the monasteries that were leading really strict lives, but there were also what was called lay ascetics who tried to imitate the ancient desert fathers by wearing chains, some of them, by fasting excessively, um, sleeping on, on, the, you know, on the floor, and all these, all these things that they were doing, ascetical practices. But they didn't understand that Christianity is not just in that, but it's also in purifying the heart, keeping the commandments, repentance, confession. They didn't care about that. All they wanted to do is to become like the holy elders by wearing chains and things like that. Elder Leonard... Ordered, the cha- ordered chains to be removed from such persons. He said, don't do that. You're not an ascetic. Take the chains off. Take the chains off him. If his will was not fulfilled, in other words, if the elders' instructions were not com- um, listened to, these people were stricken with demonic possession. The elder would place his epithelion over such persons and read the short prayer of exorcism from the Book of Needs. In addition, he would anoint them with oil or gave it to them to drink. And there were a great many remarkable instances of miraculous healings. In other words, we can see here 
that for a, for if a, even if a person doesn't get possessed, a person can, can, can fall under demonic influence from pride. Better for a person to be possessed, better for a person to be under the influence of demons because they've got a, because they, while they're suffering, they don't suffer in the next life and a lot of them come back to the church. But a proud person is very hard to, pray, to, to, to um, come to God because to come to God you need humility. When a person's suffering from a demon, they're humbled, like that woman. And a lot of us, when we suffer sicknesses and demonic things, then we are humbled. And that brings us close to God. Yesterday's epistle was from Corinthians, first, I think 1 Corinthians. And it was about where St. Paul was shocked to hear that a man had fallen with his father's wife. In other words, his stepmother had fallen into immoral things. And St. Paul said that I give that person to Satan to be tormented. St. Paul prayed that that person becomes possessed, that that person be tormented for the sake of his salvation. That's why God has allowed today many people to be under demonic influence, whether from magic or not. And, and also to suffer mental illnesses and to suffer cancer and to suffer many things. These are God's blessings on people. You might say, how do you speak like that and things like that? That's the truth. The truth is that God in his love does that to avoid catastrophes. Just like your children when they're young, it doesn't understand that the stove is hot. It doesn't understand that. The only way, you, if, you, if you say to the child, don't touch the stove, doesn't understand why, doesn't, doesn't comprehend. So under some supervision there, the parent will put, let the child put close there where it's hot and move away. The child then will learn that the concept that is hot, don't go near, it hurts in its primitive way. We're primitive as well. And God allows these things for us to get burnt so that we can learn and come closer to him. So don't blaspheme. We should not blaspheme when we get sick. We should not blaspheme if we have demonic influence on us and say that God is cruel and he, we don't do that. God is the perfect doctor. If, if we have trust in these doctors, some, which some people do, um, let's just say if it's a good doctor, you can trust them, and you have trust. Okay, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? You have trust. Well, if we have trust in human people, how much more we should trust in God, who is all-knowing and knows everything 100% and knows exactly what's the best for us. And we might see a person suffering from a demon and say, oh, how cruel God is, and that's horrible. And yet, when that person dies, if we were given permission to speak to that person, 
And that person would say, sorry, we would say to that person, you suffered so much on earth. What life did you have? You had no joy. You had nothing. You suffered and were tormented, whether that person was paralysed all their life, whether they were possessed, whether they were mentally ill. They suffered, a lot of them, for many years, some of them all their life. And we say to them, that's so bad for you. And the person would say, no, I'm willing to go back to earth and I'm willing to suffer another thousand times more because I know that that will be for a, for a moment of time, but then I will be, then we, we receive paradise, blessedness, near God with the angels and all the saints forever. Kingdom that shall have no end. So we, unfortunately, like the child, you, you can't say to a child, don't touch. He doesn't understand. They're too young. We are also like that. We're backward. We're primitive. We don't understand God's laws. So he teaches us as a loving father, teach, teach, teaches us. When you do that, that's what happens. When you do that, what's happened? And he has the remedy, the medicine for all of us. He knows exactly what to do with all of us. Use the opportunity, whether sickness, mental illness, um, whether it's um, a demonic temptation, whether it's possession, whether it's magic or whatever. Use all those things as a means to come closer to God. Amen. Stand up. Just sit down one second, just one, one, two minutes, yep. You're saying about the health problems? Health, pro- health problems uh, help people to humble them and to bring them closer to, to um, God. Now, some people, of course, blaspheme. If you see someone whose life has been quite perfect, no problems, no health problems, no disasters in their life, St. John Christum says, cry for that person because God is not giving them anything because he knows they'll become worse. However, they will suffer in the next life. So some people say, oh, how come those people have a really good life? Uh, it's like God's abandoned them uh, because they will become worse. So where, where God feels that there is an opportunity for someone to be helped, it will send them sicknesses. Even an unbeliever can be given some benefit and even unbelievers actually turn to God themselves, even though they might not go to church and things like that because they don't know much about it, but they actually still start to, to, to believe and become humbled and think about their sins and things like that. How, how God judges them, I don't know. It's none of my business, but it does, it does um, help. Any other questions? Yeah, thanks for reminding me. I was going to say, when you're not sure I, uh, whether something's from a monastery, whether it's not, and things like that, I don't think it's really a sin to burn it and get rid of it because you don't know where, where, where it's from. I would, I would be safer for, for, to say, unless you bought it. I didn't buy it, but it, you know, it comes in a little package and it says, oh, I was 
Well, that's probably that's probably real then. But it's still you've got to be careful. Um, when you're not sure, say someone's given you something, and you say, "I wonder if that is something that's bad." Better to get 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 rid of it, and you don't get judged as being bad because you burnt something holy because you're, you're doing it to protect yourself. You don't know what it is because people giving these things out, you don't know what's what's in them. Anything else? Yes. Yes, that's where the that's where the loved ones around do the work for that person, and then what happens usually is that the demonic influence lessens to some degree, if God permits, which usually that's what happens, and then the person will get into a better position to be able. Look, I, I, I remember a story of um of a mother that had a, that had a son. And um, he got mixed up in sorceries and all that type of stuff. And she, um, he was like crazy anyway, but she wanted to take him to church because she told the priest to do a, um, after the service, to do some type of paraklesis, some type of small petition. But she wanted the, the boy to be there, the teenager, whatever he was. So she took him there but what she went through for him to go there and he was agitated and wanted to leave and she was saying stay and he was like going was very anyway she um he stayed but you'd be surprised that even those who are so out of it which is a good question so out of it how much they can be helped through commemorations and prayers when they've got no will of their own when they've got a will of their own and they've got ability to do some, something, then they need to do something. That's what the elder said. And that's why for, he said about the young man, the young boy, well, probably was a teenager, about the holy water. You know, give him a bit of holy water, uh, do, get the priest to go over so that the evil influence can uh, lessen and then slowly, slowly for that person to be helped. Um, and... God, in His mercy, can can um, help that person a lot. That's there. Yeah, that's yeah. That's a good question. Through the prayers of our Holy Fathers, Lord Jesus Christ, our God, have mercy and save us. Amen.